Hello everyone, I'm Lee. I'm Spencer. And this is the Lasso Lowdown. We're the Lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. We are back this week covering the Apple Plus TV series Ted Lasso. We are on episode 5 in season 2, titled Rainbow. Spencer, I think Ted Lasso wrote an episode for me. <laughs> This, I don't know if they could have designed a more Lee-focused, Lee-aspect built-around episode of Ted Lasso. It's unbelievable. So for folks who don't know, I uh, am pretty famous in our friend group for loving rom-coms. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I absolutely love romantic comedies. And uh, there are obviously a number of plot elements that I predicted wanted to happen that are starting to come into fruition in this episode. So I am going to say, number one, with a bullet, this episode is for me. I will say also that I watched this episode while running on a treadmill. So I'm watching it on my phone, running on a treadmill. Not to brag that I'm working out, but uh, well and I actually, toward the end of the episode, there's a moment. Uh, I think you probably everybody's watched this show. Uh, this episode probably knows what it is. We'll cover it during the recap. Where my arms were up, Rocky style, like <laughs> pumping in the air as I was running. Oh I was yeah, so hyped. I th- I think more so than the last episode of season one. This was a cheer. Get up out of your seat. Everybody's super excited moment. Spencer, did it hit you that way? Well, it, it was really fun to see just the random gifts that you ambiguously send me throughout the day before I get to watch the episode. Is that usually there's just some aspect of just random mystery associated with them. What I was picking up out of the gifts that you sent me was, oh, Lee's excited. Oh, Lee really liked this episode. That's what I got out of those. You just had the most celebratory wrestler walking into the arena gifts you could. Yeah, so to continue that bit, so what I sent Spencer this week was a gif of spit of Kramer from Seinfeld grabbing his face and screaming in excitement. That was number one. And number two was Stone Cold Steve Austin swagger walking into a wrestling arena. So yeah. those are my two gifs this week. Uh, again, really excited for the episode. But but back to the question, Spencer, did this did this episode it get get something emotional going in you? Did it get you excited? Um, it did and really it, fired up. It definitely did by the end. The end is a massively celebratory moment, even if they purposely add a little bit of degree of ambiguity and discordance to it before the episode wraps up. Episode itself, great. Loved it. Episode by episode of Ted Lasso, I'm still having a blast. I'm getting a little bit concerned about some of the longer arcs, about some of the directions where they're going with some aspects of the plot, that I don't know whether they're just playing a very long game associated with them, which is perfectly possible, or whether they're just kind of trying to dodge the more difficult points that they themselves have kind of worked in in the prior episodes. I don't know yet. It's too early to say. Moment by moment, I'm getting a little bit nervous about a couple of them, but we'll address that as we go through the recap. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, um, I felt like it was one of the more ambitious episodes they've ever done as far as breaking the fourth wall, uh, letting, you behind Aggressively. The, letting you behind the scenes as to what they're doing, but still doing it. Um, and still making fun of it in the process. It was a, it was absolutely a question wrapped in a riddle, inception sort of situation. I thought it was really ambitious. Let's, just, let's actually just do it now. You mind if I just lay out a couple of things I'm a little bit worried about for the season? Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, I think we can agree it's unquestionably a bit of a sillier season than the last one. I, I think that's just the, the tone they're going for, that's fine. It is what it is. I don't know whether they're intentionally playing Ted as being a bit more forced than he was last season or not. It could be an issue with writing, or it could be something they're intentionally playing with. If it is, it's a long-term goal that could work out beautifully if it's going the direction I think it is. But I don't know yet. Uh, It also seems like some of the weightier issues they set up, particularly with respect to the team's finances and Sam's protest, we haven't really gotten back to, despite how big they seemed at the time. There's continually vague hints 
that may play out later, but it seems like for some of the things we learned in this episode, a lot of it was just kind of resolved off camera. And new sponsors have already been arranged. They got banter big on their shirts the way we, we kind of predicted they would. And that's a little disappointing if that aspect of the plot's just going to be kind of buried or not returned to, particularly given that Ted's hiring a new coach before this episode is done. Uh, Nate's arc, I don't know whether we're just very episode by episode focusing on different aspects of his character or if we're just kind of jumping around with it. It was setting up in one direction that we've kind of left behind for now, and now we're focusing much more on Nate's season one kind of arc. So... It's these longer-term things that all could resolve fine, that all could work out well by the end of the season. We've got five more episodes to go, if these are indeed longer-term things they want to go with. But so many of them we've just not really touched on or not really built up, and each episode's kind of living in its own moment-by-moment space. And I don't know if they're going to really worry about those or not. And it leaves me a little bit concerned about where I, at the end of the season, will think about the whole as much as I'm loving the parts. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get any resolution from the Sam thing. I think they left that behind. I think that's over. Um, as far as Ted being more silly this season, I think I would disagree with that. I think for me, I tend to romanticize the Ted character through a couple episodes, specifically the, the karaoke episode um, and specifically the episode where him and his wife uh, split because there were some moments where he became this sort of very real person. But there were also a lot of moments in season one where he was just a stupid caricature who was just completely over the top. And so I think I think it I think it's on the on a level with what the Ted character was the the season before. But I mean, obviously, people could disagree. The point I'm making yeah. there though, is not necessarily that he's more silly or not. It's a question of the forced style. Specifically, this episode we got to see several characters, including Beard, including Doctor Sharon, particularly Roy. Roy's no surprise though reacting to Ted's style of presenting with just a a sigh almost like like a kind of done with it thing it's even they're looking at this guy going who are you trying to impress at this moment again I don't know whether they're building this up or playing it out right now but we'll focus on a couple moments and we'll discuss it more as we get through the episode seems pretty on brand right because they did they did show his wife like who has been around him a lot kind of being over it so maybe that's going to be like a Something he talks about with Dr. Sharon is that the Ted stick wears off with certain folks. But anyway, those are just our initial thoughts. Uh, We will get into more of our thoughts of the episode here when we talk about our segments, which we will jump into in a minute. A little housekeeping here on the Lasso Lowdown. If you enjoy our podcast, please go rate, review, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You know, we asked a couple weeks ago for folks to do that. We thank you very much. We've had some folks commenting. I want to give a shout out to ZenGen68, Disparo. Uh, Saturn Girl Media. There are a number of others uh, who have uh, who have commented about our podcast, either on their favorite podcast platform or on our website, mangumtalks.com. Please do that. Mm-hmm. We want to hear what you think. Uh, if you're liking the podcast, if there are things you wish we would tweak, things you wish we would add, change, whatever it is, we love listener feedback. Why, Spencer? Because we love our listeners and we're podcast Indeed. professionals. That is why. So thanks, everybody, for listening. You're enjoying our stuff. Please go to your favorite podcast platform, type in Mangum Talks, and you will get a plethora of podcasts, all kinds of things we've talked about, movies, different television shows, off-the-wall, random conversations. There's a bunch of stuff that we've done out there, so if you like listening to us gab, please go to your favorite podcast platform, type in Mangum Talks. But the issue at hand today, Season 2, Episode 5, 
Rainbow, love the title. We're gonna jump into our segments. Our segments here, we have segments galore on the Lasso Lowdown. We start with Biscuits with the Boss, where Spencer brings the dessert to the podcast, fancy man that he is. Then we do mm-hmm. Tea Time with Lee, where I attempt to explain to our American audience that tea is not quite as bad as Ted thinks it is. Then we jump into the recap. Spencer leads a recap every week heroically, banging out the notes, all the homework, staying up late, getting up early. That's what he does, podcast professional. Then we jump into train wreck of the episode. That'll be an interesting one this episode. And then we then we do a Sports Center Top 10 where we do uh, 10 things we liked about the episode. Never 11, never 9, always 10 on the nose. We're very, very particular about that. Then we end with a pretty serious segment, Life Lessons with Ted. And I'm going to go ahead and spoil it this week, Spencer. Mm-hmm. There is not even mm-hmm. a remote hint of sarcasm in Life Lessons with Ted. It is serious this week. I'm just, I'm going to tell you it's serious. And so if you're here for the comedy and you don't like the serious talk on the podcast, I would recommend you (laughs) shut it off before Life Lessons with Ted because there will be no joking for me on Life Lessons with Ted because I felt like there were some pretty serious things being addressed in this episode. As silly and and sometimes over the top as the episode is, there's still this sort of through line of some serious plots uh, that are going on. So with that being said, Spencer, I sit enwrapped. I am super excited. What did you bring to the podcast today for Biscuits with the Boss? So you know how often I like to tailor things, to make them very well thought out, carefully (laughs) investigated. A lot of trend on Biscuits with the Boss. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Just the amount of time I invest in this thought process. This time around, I just, you know, I decided to go all out. And I just got an entire half pint of Mint Moose Tracks ice cream, and I'm going to eat it. Well, not a half pint, half gallon of Mint Moose Tracks. And this is what I have to enjoy in this episode. Yeah, Spencer, obviously, really, really bad. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to give you a pass on the sometimes with the biscuits with the boss. We do ask a lot from you for the recap. So there you go. Spencer, enjoying the moose tracks. Moose tracks is an interesting choice. Spencer, do you do you often keep moose tracks around? Because I find it to be a tad over the top. Is that the one with marshmallows in it? No, no, no. Moose tracks, at least this version of it, is, let's see here. Uh, it's, it's mixed in with mint cups and fudge. So it's oh. like fudge swirls and like kind of a little uh, additional cups of mint and fudge in there as well. Was I thinking Rocky Road? Does Rocky Road have I the marshmallows? I think you're thinking Rocky Road, yeah. Okay, yeah, Rocky Road a Rock, little over Rocky the top. Road's a, Rocky Road's a weird one to have. It's just like an ice cream in the house for guests because marshmallow and ice cream, either you love it or it sets you off in the entire way the wrong way. That's a real good point. Like if you're at somebody's house, you say, hey, uh, you know, after dinner, you want a little ice cream? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll get you some Rocky Road. <laughs> That's a pretty uh, intense uh, choice. Yeah, if, you know anything what I think else, I'll pass. Like strawberry? No? All right. <laughs> Maybe I'll go for a post-dinner cup of tea. Whoa, look at that transition mm, to well Tea well Time done. with Lee. Uh, I want to talk about our tea this week. So I, like the episode, am going to give the most ambitious Tea Time with Lee segment that I have ever done here. I'm stretching it, Spencer. Oh, We're going to talk about bubble oh. tea today. We're oh, talking no. about bubble sir. tea. Sir, what are you doing, sir? Yes, sir. Bubble tea. Um, So bubble tea. Most people have, if you've heard of bubble tea, you've probably had it cold, right? You've had cold bubble tea, tapioca pearls in the bottom of it. There's Um, hot bubble tea? I didn't realize that was an option. There is. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. You can actually have hot bubble tea. So most of these bubble tea places that you go to, the default is cold. But I can tell you that my local bubble tea place is a place called Milk Lab um, here in Durham, North Carolina. And they, they will give you bubble tea hot. Um, I'm not saying I like it as much as cold, but I just wanted our, our audience to know that that is an option. Most folks get bubble tea. So it typically what it is, uh, and 
there's a lot of different names for it, right? People call it milk pearl tea or bubble milk tea or tapioca milk tea or even boba tea. You hear, you hear boba tea a lot. And what it is is a, a tea option. Most of the time they cut it with milk, a really good flavored mm-hmm. milk, about half and half, and they put tapioca pearls in the bottom. And I will tell you, I was super skeptical of the tapioca pearls when I first started my bubble tea adventure. I am a convert, Spencer. <laughs> I really? love the little tapioca pearls in the bottom. Really? Uh, it's great. It's like a snack with a tea. Um, so my uh, my recommendation here on Tea Time with Lee is go get a bubble tea. Um, try it hot just to say you've done it. Get a little perspective. But I would say get it cold. Always cut it with milk. Always get some sort of flavoring in it. Um, I, I particularly like the, the sort of green tea matcha flavor with a lot of milk and your tapioca pearls in the bottom. And there you go. There is Tea Time with Lee Bubble Tea. Spencer, you ever had bubble tea? You know, it's the kind of thing where uh, my girlfriend Bridget absolutely adores it. It gets it whenever it's an option. I have been offered it so many times, and I think every time I've said no. I really don't think I've ever actually had bubble tea. Yeah, it is something that I really think you would like because it's a, it's a sweet treat post-dinner. It's very interesting. There is a little caffeine, but it's not a lot. It's, it's really not a lot. And the tapioca pearls are a nice little post-dinner snack, so... I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say it's a big recommendation here. I'm pretty sure you would like it, Spencer. Okay, so there you go. Then. Bubble tea. Let's jump into our recap. Spencer, are you ready to run through the recap here on season two, episode five? Actually, before you hit the recap, I have a question for you. Please. You know, we talked about episode three, the rightest thing, how it was probably the most notes you'd ever done. How does yeah. this how does this episode rival? Is this more or less notes than you did for episode three? This is actually fewer based on how certain scenes play out of where there's only so much I can do to describe them of where a lot happens it's a long episode it's like a solid 40 minute-ish yeah, 40 episode minutes, yeah. mm-hmm. but right as thing it was like oh this is just straight plot I have to dis- I have to describe in detail this more is and a scene happens and let's listen to Lee squee about it for a second just in terms of the emotional feel of the scene yeah, I feel like the first half of the episode might have been more notes than any first half of the episode yes. we've done. But then yes. it, there was some scenes that really didn't have a lot of dialogue toward the end, um, especially my favorite scene of the episode. So let's go ahead. Um, long lead now, in here, but let's jump into the recap. Now, I have to ask, can you contain yourself at some moments of this episode? Because our listeners may lose their ears if you scream with how happy some of these scenes make you. So I'm going to scream, but I'm going I'm to do this move. All right, you ready for it? I'm ready. Yep. Ah! So I'm going to pull away from the mic. When ah, I do it. So well, I do done, that. well done. That's going to be my podcast professional right there. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to do that, but there will be some squealing. Yes, sir. No, it was coming. Well, we start with a taste of Athens in tooting. <laughs> You've ever heard of tooting before? I have not heard of tooting. I love yeah. the names of the little boroughs and cities that are inside London. Yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, Nate walks in and after an awkwardly long stare with the maitre d', uh, tells her that this is his parents' favorite place. And they're there for their 35th wedding anniversary. The Jade anniversary, which also happens to be her name, only adding to the awkwardness. Question for you. Mm. You have, on this podcast, multiple times laid out the Spencer rule of Ted podcast, or uh, uh, Spencer rule of the Ted Lasso show, which is, if we learn a character's name, we will see them again. Will we see Jade again? Not just Absolutely. at the end of the episode, but at later episodes. It's the rule. It has never okay. proven All false right. on this show. <laughs> All right, just making yeah. sure. <laughs> she, we have now seen Nate's future married partner. That's how this show goes. All right, got it. Uh, he says that he wants to reserve a, ta- a window table for the evening. The one window table with the light beatifically shining oh. upon it. Kind of yeah, there are angels singing as you look at this table kind of thing. She goes to check while Nate watches Roy on TV. Got to talk to Derek. Yeah. 
Uh, the Talking Heads are considering a lack of leadership from Isaac McAdoo. I don't know if he ever knew Isaac's last name before. I thought it was McAdoo. Ma yes, sorry, McAdoo. As a reason for the uh, Richmond's spotty success over the course of the season, as well as a general and oddly misogynistic assessment of Ted Lasso's performance as coach. Uh, the uh, poor host is barely able to keep the children in line on the show, as has been the normal for Soccer Saturday from what we've seen before. When the hostess returns and says that they've, Nate has successfully reserved a corner table, way over in the corner, Nate tries to press that, you know, the window table would impress his dad, who's impressed by nothing, um, but the hostess says that she can't reserve it unless basically his dad is Roy Kent, which is a rather rudely way of brushing him off in that regard. And Nate just kind of dejectedly walks off while our intro begins at the, I looked it up, 328 mark, but we had 45 seconds of ads, so the 243 mark of the episode. 243, about smack in the middle of what we normally get. It's about it's a pretty normal cold opening. One thing I want to point out is when the Soccer Saturday, is that what it's called, was on, yes. the, uh, on the screen, uh, we did have a moment. I, I just like to remember the dynamic that Roy uh, used to be coached by George. George was his coach at Richmond yes. before Ted came along, and he does fire back at George after the misogynistic reference to women driving, saying, George, didn't you lose your license drunk driving? That was an allergic reaction to my medication. Is that the same medication that made you piss your pants? So shout out to Roy. I will say I'm not sure that Roy loves being a commenter, but, but he's good Spencer, at it. Spencer, if we had someone like this in sports media, it would oh, be God. fabulous. The world fabulous. would never be the same. And, and it's one Move of over, things, Stephen A. Smith. And it's an important thing we need to remember by the time this episode wraps up and where Roy ends up is that he's really good at this. He's yeah. a really good commentator. People love him. Just maybe not what he wants to be. Maybe right. that's okay. Back to the normal uh, credits this week. Back to the normal credits. Were you disappointed we weren't going to get episode by episode unique credits going forward? No, I'm, I, I love the credits. I'm glad they went back yeah. to it. Uh, Richmond appears to be watching footage of yet another loss. Man, their season's not going great. Mm -mm. Uh, with a notable mistake by Jan being a seeming reason maybe for why they lost that day. Uh, which, given his nature, he immediately owns up to. Yes, that was my fault. Uh, Isaac is trying to bluster his way through being the new Roy Kent style of team captain. And how would you assess his performance at this point? It seems like he's struggling a bit. Uh, uh, yeah, and you need to stop fucking up. Like it is terrible. Yeah, he looks. Like That's he basically what it is. I mean, Jan says, "Yeah, that was my fault," and all he does is armed crossed, tight as a tick, yelling, "You know, hey, it's your fault. Stop fucking up." I mean, it's it's not great leadership for sure. I mean, he looks like he's uncomfortable in his own skin with this position. And that's not great. He needs to be the focal point of leadership right now. And so there may be a certain thing going on that, yeah, the team is suffering from a little bit because it doesn't have a united leadership through the means of Isaac right now, given how important Roy was to their prior efforts. I will say uh, that this show um, it portrays team captains as more important than I thought they were in team sports at the professional level. Like, you know, it's very clear that the show is saying that Isaac being worked up in his own head, tight, super aggressive, not being a leader is really affecting the team. And I, I just didn't know that being, you know, captains had that big of importance in professional sports. It seems like it really maybe depends on the uh, sport itself. Because we had the last season heavily point out that the coach isn't as directly moment by moment relevant to the team in soccer as he is in other sports like football that Ted has done previously. And it really seems like it's the team captain that is kind of the coach on the pitch once the game starts. At least that's how the show's framing the role. What a great point. I, I love doing podcasts with you. That was a great point. 
That's what I'm here for. Uh, Ted pauses the footage, uh, reveals that he's replaced Nate's whistle with an indoor whistle. Just to stop really that from yeah, I gave him an so indoor great. whistle. <laughs> <laughs> Nate looks so disappointed. He keeps trying to blow it throughout the scene. Just like, what? I've lost my power. So funny. Uh, and he offers uh, the most Ted possible of philosophical positions on the current, on the team's current position. That doesn't care what the record is. It's not, and it's not the way. Uh, he doesn't, uh, people are looking to the team as if there's something is wrong with them. And that's not the way he sees it. Because he believes in communism. Be- Rom communism. Did you see uh, Beard, when he said communism, Beard was so locked in. Oh, and then he yeah. said Rom communism and Beard went, oh. oh, oh. Yeah. Beard was ready to start writing his own manifesto, leading the revolution <laughs> right there. And I'm just like, oh, all right, no. Please uh, Rom it- communism. And in a worldview which just seems designed for you, Lape, uh, it is a worldview based around romantic comedies. Yes. Which the team seems, like you, just remarkably familiar with. As they spend the next, like, two minutes recounting all of their favorite rom-com female leads. And male leads, too. Alright, so I'm going to have a lot of fun with this. So basically, what happens in this episode is they establish early on that they, this is going to be the rom-com episode in that yes. they're going to give you a lot of romantic comedy references. They're going to give you a lot of plot lines and vignettes that are um, like apropos of certain movies where they're obviously referencing to certain uh, rom-com movies. They also, I think, are acknowledging to the audience that one of the main plot lines they're going to do from here on forward in the season is a super campy, overdone trope from romantic comedies. And because they're going that route, and because it's a Ted yep. Lasso, they're not going to just do it and be lazy. They're going to do it and acknowledge that they're doing it, show you the fourth wall breaking, and be really funny about it. So with all that in mind, every time there's a reference to a romantic comedy movie or there's a scene that is a callback to a particular Structurally, movie, yeah. I'm going to let you know. Because I, I don't think I've nailed them all, but I think I've nailed a lot of them. Because as Spencer's pointed out, I do love myself a good romantic comedy. So we will start with uh, the names that they call out. So he Please. starts with Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. Um, got mail. <clears throat> you got mail. Julia Roberts. And by the way, you got mail, I think, is the 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 sort of callback or reference to the big through line through the episode and we what get will a go lot on. of references yeah, yeah so basically it's you got mail on a dating platform uh, dating app right it, it's it's moved Rather the technology has moved yes. up but it's still the same idea from you've got mail it's <laughs> and the same Julia. usernames basically too <laughs> yeah it's it's such a throwback from that movie you also have Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant pretty woman pretty woman um then the team starts naming folks they get the drew barrymore matthew mcconaughey boys on the side mm. and then the three kates beckinsale wins uh hudson winslet that's not i don't think that's a reference to a particular movie that's just the three kates so that's they've, what been, I have they've so been in a few yeah okay uh the team goes through it everybody's having a blast we get a very late reference by uh, danny to jennifer lopez still gets it in um and really ted's point here is that if those characters can go through lighthearted struggles and still end up happy, then damn it, so can we. But believing everything is going to work out in the end is important. And that even though we're kind of going through the dark forest for the next few months, which is the middle of any good fairy tale, that's not how things end. And while things may not work out how you think or how you hope, they do work out as they're supposed to. It's your job to have zero expectations until that moment and just let it go and let life experience itself. And the team seems like 
really oddly in on this same page in terms of Ted's philosophy. They are ready to believe in this. They're ready to just kind of let the stress of things they can't control fall off them. With one notable exception. Because as you said, Isaac looks like he is just wrapped up in a shell that is just getting denser as it kind of collapses in on itself. I also think that Ted is explaining what we as viewers need to oh, do yeah. for the show. When oh, he says, yeah. everything will play out exactly as it's supposed to. Here's the quote. Our job is to have zero expectations and just let go. So that's what he's telling his players and that's I what he's feel, telling the audience. I feel fucking called out when it comes to that line. That is that line that is saying, Spencer, Spencer, calm down, calm down. You've got your hopes, you got your dreams, what the long-term plot arcs are going to be. They're going to play out. Just breathe, man. Experience it moment to moment. You'll enjoy it more. Yeah, I know, show. You're right. I'm still not going to stop doing it. Yeah, he's not. you're not going to get a change in Spencer. But that's that's what he's saying. Everybody, and, relax. And, We've got this. We're going to stick the landing in season two. And it's an interesting philosophy. Because I, know, I question how much Ted himself actually believes it when he's lecturing his team about it. Because he's directly subverts it several times this season. And even this episode in terms of... Just let go. Everything's going to be fine. This is the philosophy for the players. It's not the philosophy by which Ted's actually running the team. He just needs them to believe it because he needs them in that headspace while he, heavy as the head that wears the visor, decides what they actually need to do to fix things or get things going in a different direction. 100% agree. Um, I have to ask you, we've set it up. Do you ha Can you even say your favorite rom-com? Yeah, yeah. Oh, can I? I've been thinking about this for 25 if, years. Yes, of course if, I can. Um, if it's I'll several, you, it's several, but talk through it. Yeah, 100%. So my favorite rom-com of all time, number one, with a bullet, When Harry Met Sally. It's the GOAT. It's the OG. Championship belt. No doubt about it. That's the standard. Standard is the standard, Spencer, and it is When Harry Met Sally. Number two for me, because I'm a product of the 90s, this is absolutely just... I'm not saying it's the best quality. It just hits me this way because of when I grew up is 10 Things I Hate About You. And number three, Love Actually for me. I watch it every Christmas and I cry every Christmas. Clears out the tear ducts. Uh, I, I invite you to join me this year, Spencer, if you'd like. We'll watch it together on the pod. I will happily enjoy we'll it. Together. It'll be great. <laughs> it's lovely. There's the airport scene, which, by the way, gets called out in this episode. So, yeah, it there's does. my top three. Uh, I've got to ask you. I wrote down a few that I view as romantic comedies. i got to test ask you whether you actually consider them romantic comedies or not because you know i do this i always say my favorite film of the genre is something that you don't consider properly part of that genre okay let's do it would you i mean we get we even get a couple of reference this episode but would you consider groundhog day a romantic comedy yes i'll give you that one okay i love wonderful film one of my favorite films love to watch it princess bride would you consider it a romantic comedy no that, that one's too much of a stretch even though they name drop it this episode no, uh, uh, that that one it's Quoted it's out. it's it's something. I mean, I, I mean this as a compliment. It yes. it, it breaks genres. Yes, um, it does, and it that's does. why that's that's what I think that one is. But you've got mail. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, Groundhog Day. Yes, I think that's a very good call, and it is a great movie. It would probably be in my top fifteen, um, which for me is saying something because I've probably watched a hundred oh, of these things. Oh yeah, <laughs> very yeah. good. But is that your favorite rom com? I've got two other ones to name. I don't do favorites. Well, I do like top list. Okay, uh, all right, fair. Com Coming to America with Eddie Murphy. Is that no. a romantic comedy? No. 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 It's, a, it's no. built around a romance. The entire reason what? he starts the plot. <laughs> Coming to America. This is the one no. I figured would push you. Come on. No. <laughs> yes, it is. It's like a Saturday Night Live skit that's been stretched for an hour and 45 It's built minutes. around romance the entire time. <laughs> no, Screw you. Okay, okay. Two, two last ones. Two last ones. Uh, Clueless. 
No. Uh-uh. Still no. No. Again. That's, just a, that's oh, just a comedy. Just a comedy which has a romance in it. That's how you're defining that. Yes. Okay. Uh, this one is, this, this one's kind of lighter but guilty entertainment, but I do enjoy it. My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Give me that one. Yeah, I'll give you that one. Yeah, Thank you. It's a comedy. Yep, you got it. All right, there's, there, there's my list of top ones I enjoy. Wow, okay, good list. Coming to America, we're going to argue the fuck over it later, but sure, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, coaches, we leave that room with, again, would you agree that this does not seem to land well on Isaac in terms of Ted's philosophy? Everybody else seems engaged. Isaac is just not even participating. To the point his reaction after Ted finishes is to return to the exact same damn thing he said two minutes earlier. So, uh, yeah, he is. this did not land with Isaac. He doesn't like it. But I think that the implication here is that Isaac's not going to like anything Ted says or anybody anything anybody says. That's just the headspace he's in. So Absolutely. He's locked great. on himself. Not great for our guy, Isaac. They need to find a way to get him to open up and get out of this. The coaches are pondering that as they're going back to the room, really debating what they can do, <clears throat> while Maybe also debating their, their, <laughs> they're debating also their favorite or least favorite Britishisms, too. Uh, do you know what piles are, by the way? Yeah, hemorrhoids. <laughs> Just making sure. Uh, Had Beard, to look it up. Beard, not a fan of piles, is a fan of Fanny, which, you know, kudos. And aubergine and snogging, he allows. Uh, snogging I'm great with. Aubergine is the weirdest damn word that ever existed in the English language. Pretty so strange. I've never been very fond of that one. Uh, Beard, with a profound sigh, quickly diffuses a very much who's on first situation with an explanation that the team is playing the team Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday, and that's the last they're going to say on that. we got to play him twice? <sighs> this is another moment of Beard's... Beard's been kind of out of focus a little bit this season. This is another moment where Beard's just kind of like, Ted, I can't do this right now. Please stop. I just can't deal with the Ted right now. Because he just kind of sighs, diffuses it, and is like, I'm done. I'm walking away. See, you might you might think that that's a part of like Ted being overdone and the characters being over him, and maybe maybe the audience somewhat being over him. I actually really got a chuckle out of um, the end of that because it's a little Abbott and Costello what? routine. It's- but the end of it when he goes Saturday, uh, I can't do it. I've got plans, and Beard just goes, "I'm done." Like that yeah, part like, I'm out, really I'm made out. me laugh. <laughs> it, it, it was a very funny scene. It's an interesting degree of interpretation of this. Is, is this just Beard playing into their usual joking routine, or is this Beard actually getting a little bit tired of Ted right now? As we've talked about, this season is an anathema to Beard about just how badly they're doing and how little directly Ted seems to be getting the team to care about it. But, yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, no. Dr. Sh- Dr. Sharon walks in and inquires after Isaac, because of course she is. She was watching in the back of the room, and Isaac obviously needs some help right now. Yep. Ted offers probably his most... This may be Ted's best joke yet, in my mind, just in terms of how beautifully this lands, but he expresses that Isaac is like a wigwam and a teepee right now. He's too tense. Oh! It, it, great line. Well played. They loved it. Nate offers that instead that he's also wound tighter than his mom's hairnet, which he describes as being like puppies are trying to escape it when it gets on. That's a visual. I am not crazy. <laughs> Ted rebuffs uh, Dr. Sharon's offer of help, uh, despite the fact that he, as he openly admits, has no idea of what Isaac actually needs right now. That normally he'd just have the team captain go and talk to him first and then devise what to do from there, but Isaac's the team captain, and having him talk with himself would be uh, messing with the, uh, what is it? Dark Hearts? Uh, no, 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 the other one. Um, Space-time continuum. Yep, that's the one, yeah. Uh, Isaac, as Ted deduces, really is only going to talk to the big dog. Only respond to the big dog. He's a big dog himself, he's only responding <laughs> to a bigger dog. Nate! <laughs> Really builds himself up, just finds his center and says, "Okay, I'll I'm gonna talk it. to him." 
and Ted laughs in his fucking face. Oh, um, what was so funny about that scene? Because we've all had that moment, right? Where a friend says something and you're like, ah, and you realize he's serious. But Ted does this thing. He like vets it in the room. He like turns the beard. beard uh, did, did you know he was serious? And Beard's like, I did. And he goes, ooh, yeah. busted. <laughs> ooh, busted. Yeah, Ted was like, he was like, they're all sharing a funny moment. They realized, no shit, I'm just the asshole right now. It's just like, oh, Nate, I'm sorry. He very much apologized. It's not what he meant to do. But it really goes to, no, I, I, we need a real big dog to make this work. And starts texting on his phone as if he already has an idea of what he's going to do next. And I think we all knew who that was going to be. Obviously. Obviously. He's going to talk to the prior team captain. The biggest dog that we know of the damn show. Yep. For sure. Uh, Keeley apparently has arranged for a new sponsor. One of maybe two new sponsors we see here. Because I said before, Banter is very much visibly on the front of their shirts. They are apparently the new lead sponsor of the team. One can question how a small new startup that's looking for investors can really back a Premier League team, but the show's not having us ponder those questions, so whatever. Championship League team, and then also around the Sorry, around the stadium, around the stadium, like at the top of the stadium, there's banter yeah. too. So, yeah, you're right, Spencer. Banter everywhere. Uh, but apparently, there's also a, a Nespresso machine company that maybe also Nescafe, be backing them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, uh, she and Rebecca are debating alternative philosophies on selling your van versus more of a Taiwan Lannister philosophy of that no, tr- no true king needs to do that. While she's encouraging the team to post about the new machines on social media and not about Welsh independence, Colin, as he tries to agree not to do. Zoro asks whether there's a buyback program for the machines. There is not. But Rebecca is mostly focused on talking to a new mystery man on banter. Whoever could this be? All right, what the fuck? Uh, I know, man. I, how At this moment, how are you dealing with this, that Rebecca's flirting again with somebody else that is not your true one-heart shipping relationship? Uh, was that a joke? That was a joke? <laughs> was a joke. Uh, Work with me here. Is not? Uh, it is totally fucking is, as we get this episode. <laughs> I know, dude. Oh, my God. And, like, obviously. I'm not even trying to I, hide it. You know, if you're just joining us first for the first time here on The Lasso Lowdown, I have, since way back in season one, done shipping. Spencer taught me the phrase shipping, which means, I guess, trying to will two characters together through, through force of internet personality. <clears throat> Ted and Rebecca. I've been trying to get Ted and Rebecca together. As soon as I saw Rebecca, and I will show you. So first off, as soon as I saw her texting somebody on banter, I hoped it was Ted. But I'll tell you when I really started to think it was Ted, and we'll get there. And that's um, when I do what I like to do on this show, which is read the text screens that they show you just a brief shot of and actually read to to all of you folks what was actually on the iPhone. Read it in a Ted accent. Mm. Read it like Ted would. It is a Ted. Yeah, we'll get there. For right now, this mystery man, whoever could it be, is quoting Rainier Maria Rilke, with our deepest fears are like dragons guarding our deepest treasure. Good line. God, you fired off that name smooth. That was nice. I think it's a weird opening chat-up line, but banter's a kind of weird program. So, sure, yeah, okay, that works. Uh, Rebecca is into it. Keeley is into it, so it works, apparently. Maybe you're writing letters to a hung poet. uh, Is that a Sex in the City reference? No, but thank you. I love the banter the two of them share. Uh, Rebecca is still also chatting with guys on, I think I got this right, Tumescent, yeah. which, <laughs> given that name, we should be in no way surprised that it's mostly dick pics, because that's what that name would lead you to believe it's going to be. Oh, sure, yep. Uh, Keely return, uh, while they're kind of chatting, Keely returns to her job and gets Danny's very detailed account of trying to bring a mother and son back together by means of coffee. 
that man just kind of lives the romantic comedy kind of lifestyle right there. Shout out, Danny. Uh, Nate, meanwhile, tries to snag one for himself, but is politely but firmly told by Keeley that, uh, no, sorry, those are for the players only. To which he tries to laugh it off in the most awkward way that only Nate can, and then walks off with Keeley kind of looking a little bit sad that she had to tell him that. Looking over Rebecca's shoulder back in her office, we see her banter screen, and we get uh, the most recent messages from LDN152, which I'm assuming is an allusion to the screen name of Tom Hanks in You've Got Mail, which was it is. in yep. NY152. Yep, absolutely it is. So obvious that that is their very direct reference to You've Got Mail. They started it right out with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, but here we go. Um, here's what is on the screen. So you had the, the dragon quote from, what's his name? Real quick. Ooh, nice. And the second one, I think the best thing about being anonymous is no need for small talk. Only big talk. Agreed? It's Ted. It's fucking Ted. If that didn't make it clear, it's goddamn Ted. There you go. The fact that it's a, it is very pointedly a romantic comedy reference fits in with all the damn quotes Ted's doing the entire episode. So And Rebecca Ted. likes it so much yeah. that she then wants to tell this person that she's looking for love on the platform. She it's, likes that. Like, it, it's not, you know, what we, we, we see with a lot of people with Ted, which is they like Ted, but some of these types of things that he says are just kind of corny and they just... They go, okay, I have to deal with that to get yeah. to the good guy that's there. She mm. doesn't even know that the good guy is there. She just on the surface likes the comment, which makes me think maybe maybe they those two really are going to work. Like if you like that joke, like just just for the joke, mm-hmm. then, then Ted might be your guy because <laughs> he's got yeah, a lot it, of them in the chamber. Yeah, Ted's not trying to hide what Ted is at this point. This is quintessential right. Ted, and she's responding to it, it appears. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the mystery man, we don't know it's Ted, gotta give him credit, we don't know it's Ted, asks Rebecca what she's looking for on this platform. Perfectly reasonable inquiry. Rebecca seems uncomfortable at that question, to a certain degree. Doesn't necessarily know either what she wants, or more accurately, what she wants to express to this person. Higgins just kind of appears as the camera shifts to the left, as he's just kind of awkwardly standing there, announcing his presence. Rebecca does the immediate hide the phone thing like we all do. And he reveals that he's holding a folder full of my hopes and dreams. This is the payroll folder. This is everything I want to get out of the damn plot that was set up back in episode three. But he casts it aside and we never return to that again. God, didn't you hope he was going to say, payroll, we're having trouble meeting it this month. Okay, let's have a conversation about that. (sighs) I did. I really did. I want them to go into that more, but they're not going to, so whatever. They might still. They they keep giving us these little hints that we're going to return to it at some point, but who could be sure? He also says that they've gotten an inquiry, which I don't exactly know what that means, uh, from AFC Wrexham and their new owners, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKinley, uh, which he hasn't replied to yet as he doesn't know whether it's a joke or not. Uh, Side note, did you know the two of them actually did buy AFC Wrexham earlier this year? (laughs) No, no idea. Rob Macquarie, uh, I think I'm saying his name right, uh, always sunny, uh, always sunny yeah. in Philadelphia fame. Ryan Reynolds of Ryan Reynolds fame. No, I did not know um, that they bought AFC Wrexham. That's interesting. It's an open question whether it's a joke or not, given that they already have a documentary set to appear on FX concerning their buying the team. So we'll see. Wow. This show is amazing. That is yeah. such a great reference. That that's, I did not know that was true. That's, that's really well done. 
Uh, Rebecca asks whether Higgins was staring at her screen, to which she confirms that, no, I've got five boys. I've learned not to look over people's shoulders. Uh, I joke. used to. No more. Uh, his wife calls to the tune of It's a Rainbow by the Rolling Stones, which is a great song. I do love that song. God, isn't uh, that a good we, song? Man, that's a is. great song. Uh, which is also their song, Higgins and his wife's. It's the song that was playing when they first met. And Higgins even declares that she is his rainbow with full sincerity. Question for you. Do you and your, your girlfriend, who you've been together for a long time, do you have a do you have a song? We have so we've debated this. We don't really like have the this is the song we met to kind of thing. It's nothing really associated with that. We have a story for how we first met. It's great and it's wonderful. But not really a song of like this is the one that encapsulates our relationship. You do you and do you and Sarah? No, we don't, which is interesting that we both don't because I would say we're in the minority. I would say most couples would say that they have a song, not necessarily one as direct as like, okay, we met when this song was playing type thing that Higgins has, but most couples would probably, if you're filling out a form, you're just answering a question oh. or they would say, yes, I, I do have a, a song, but I, I don't think, I okay. don't think me and my I, wife I, do. I've actually kind of got one and this, this is, the, okay. the, the, I'll, do, I'll, I'll do a Spencer story right now. One, one of the first songs we ever DMX? danced to. No, that would be awesome if it was, but it isn't. <laughs> uh, one of the first songs we ever danced to, and this is a song whenever it plays, Bridget will pull me up to dance with a big smile on her face, is uh, Toto's Africa. It's a weird choice, but it was one of the first songs we ever danced to together, and it still is one that always makes us smile whenever it comes on. I bless the rains down in Yep. That one. Very good. Um, now, Higgins now actually tells the story of why this song means so much to him. Uh, he was apparently attempting to be a brooding punk with spiked hair. Can you picture it? Can you picture it? <laughs> it is so odd imagining you as a young person. Well, you know, I was the only I was the only kid in primary with sciatica. You know, gelatinous L4, L5. You know. Oh, God. Gelatinous. <laughs> oh, oh. That's the Ow. worst word to ever apply to a spine. Oh. God. Ow. Uh, apparently, he was a punk with spiked hair uh, when that song came on. It's a rainbow. Uh, and he immediately went to do air base, as one does, and yeah, promptly sure. poured a whole pint of beer, to, beer over his head. Everyone else in the bar laughed, except for one, his future wife, who moved to help, and tossed him a damp and dirty bar rag. Mm-hmm. And they've been together ever since. And 29 years! Kudos to them. And concludes with, really, because you asked him, really, well, how did you represent yourself? What was your brand that you were doing with this? That, no, really, best brand is just being yourself. Hmm. I wonder if that'll come up later in the la- I can't imagine. That, I mean, that, that doesn't sound like a massively meaningful line that just colors a philosophy that people should live by right there. I can't see how you'd ever reference that one again. Uh, now, it does seem to have an effect on Rebecca, though, because uh, she immediately, once Higgins leaves the room, responds on banter to Mystery Man's inquiry that she's looking for love. And that she then does what I ever do whenever I text something that freaks me out that I just texted where she tosses the phone around the room and starts stressing the hell about it oh, she man. said that what a what a relatable moment because oh, when I was dating man. I did this all the it's time fine. you, you text something and you feel like you're really pushing the conversation and you just toss the phone alright let's forget it for like two minutes and then maybe I'll creep back over and like put one eye on it to see if I got a response yeah just don't t- oh dear god if they don't respond if they don't respond for like 30 minutes for you saying that line how quickly do you uh, die inside just collapsing it on yourself, going full Isaac. Uh, we're at a kebab restaurant now, where Roy's picture is right in the middle of the celebrity guest list, which apparently includes Norm. And I didn't no, 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 we're not there on. yet. We're not there yet. We're, we're cut to. Key oh no, no, sorry, I skipped it. I skipped it. I skipped it. Sorry. 
Uh, Keely is, slurp is slurping a very green concoction. Is it a smoothie or is it some kind of health thing? I don't know. It's very green. She's into it. Whatever it is. Uh, while Nate is pacing in front of her door in a very much <laughs> relatable moment. So God is he. Uh, he's trying to work his nerve up to go in. Luckily, Keely invites him in. He's able to arrive. And he straight up asks, can you make me famous? She, as you would speak to a child, basically tells him you don't want to be famous. Because with the exception of groupies and free shit, it's really not all it's worked up to be. Kind of sucks. And that it really would dilute what makes Nate the Great truly great. Uh, your Nate intelligence really, and your talent. That's well said. Really, though, what Nate just wants, though, is a window table at a damn restaurant. That's what he's here for. Keely, realizing this, carts Nate off to uh, Rebecca's office with Nate. Did you see the walk Nate was doing as Keely was kind of pushing him in? Pretty, it was this weird, awkward, lift yeah. your legs up, really awkward, most awkward walk possible. The thing I like about that exchange is that uh, Nate says, uh, toward the end of that talk, conversation with Keely, he says, yeah, I, I would like the groupies. And then he like stops and he goes, oh, well, but that would be degrading. And I, I, like, he gets in his own head and he starts it apologizing. And Keely, Keely, as smooth as she is, just completely ignores that breakdown and yep. just says, come with me. Like she, she's, <laughs> she's so adept at dealing with men who are nervous in front of her. I feel like this is just the callback to Nate's line about the shoes when he found Rebecca and Keeley talking in the shoe room. Of yes, course. No, yeah. Nate, that was mm -hmm. a that was a funny line. Just own it. It's okay. People, you can say these kind of things to friends. It's all right. Especially but Keely. Nate, yeah, especially Keely. But Nate's not comfortable in his own skin. Uh, they go in um, to basically solicit advice from Rebecca. Rebecca thinks that the first thing I want to do is just, oh, you need a reservation at a restaurant. Which top re top five restaurant in London do you need a reservation in? I'll call the owner. I know him. Not quite what she, what he's after. He reveals the actual restaurant, A Taste of Athens in Tooting, to which she is, oh, do you want me to buy the place? Because <laughs> I can do that too. Uh, Keeley offers the wonderful line of, you know the saying, you buy a man a table, he eats once, you teach a man how to get a table when he eats at that restaurant until it becomes a Starbucks. Funny line. <laughs> uh they instead encourage that Nate needs to be assertive. And they say this like it's the most obvious thing ever. And I, like Nate, are looking at them going, well, that's an easy thing to say. What do you want me to do to bring that about, my assertive uh, two ladies here oh, in front of me? Oh, great, 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 great. Uh, yep, yep, it's wonderful, Okay, we have work to do here. Yeah, they, they were, okay, we can't just tell him what he needs to do here. This man needs a certain degree of training. It's like, okay, we're in this. We're not doing anything else. Now at the kebab restaurant. Okay, I want to just clear this up. So, in in the UK, maybe all of Western Europe, they call like a pita, like a pita wrap, a kebab, right? A they ke do, but it's, but it's not a kebab; it's kebab. Because yes. ke a kebab is the little meat skewer stick. Yes, this is a kebab. Okay. It's a kebab restaurant, which okay. is just yeah, really I'm, I'm, confusing. I'm not, I'm not doing that to correct you. I'm doing that no, to you're establish right, you're right. it. Because kebab is a very new, new term to me. I did not know that that's what these things are called. In, in America, we would call that like a pita sandwich. Yeah. Um, called you know, pita wrap place. Yeah, pita wrap with donor, right? But like yeah. here, it's kebab. It's just a new thing to me. I want to point that out. It, it is definitely the term. Uh, Roy's picture is up on the wall, in the middle of the wall, between a picture of Norm, and I didn't actually recognize who was the guy on the right. Did you recognize who that was? I did not, no. Whatever. Didn't catch it. Uh, did you also see what Roy's picture just said? No. <laughs> it was say? signed, but all the quote was, like the other ones were, you know, yeah. wonderful place. Dirty. His was just, yum, period. Nice work, Roy. Why you yeah. in? That is Roy right That is a hell of a Roy compliment right there. Yum. Uh, 
Apparently, despite having his picture on the wall, he's still not getting free food, which he just takes in good grace. And as he turns around with the camera of having perfectly framed Ted behind him so he couldn't see him, Ted, the mustachioed surprise, the anger-inducing mustachioed surprise, is right there, having arranged to ambush him with Keeley. Fancy meeting you here! After except asking Keeley where you were and scooping my boot right over here, that is. I love that Keeley's directly on Ted's camp in terms of arranging everything yeah. with what she thinks Roy needs. This is just how that goes. She really likes Ted, you can tell. Uh, Ted makes the first of what are going to be many When Harry Met Sally references in the course of this episode. I'll have what he's having. Wonderfully said. And they sit down together. Uh, Roy complains that Ted is basically bothering him in his equivalent of church, to which Ted offers. That uh, didn't know that you could get transubstantiation. The transubstantiation could happen with PETA, but there you go. (laughs) Funny line. Uh, Well, Ted, really remarkably fast for Ted, just kind of cuts to the chase and asks Roy straight up, wants you to join Richmond's coaching staff. Fuck off. Uh, Roy, in his most Roy way possible, tells him he's not interested and that he enjoys what he's doing and enjoys being good at it, with people even tweeting gifs about him. Does that word always... How do you... Does the word gif set you off the same way as much as, as, much as it does me? What, the pronunciation? Yes. Uh, it's it's gif. Um, I think that's, no, what, it that's what everybody says. Common but, parlance. Yeah, GIF, yeah G- GIF, GIF. Um, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I accept both. You know, again, I'm calling back. I'm calling back from a previous life lessons with Ted. Don't be too cool to enjoy life. Uh, I don't. I don't shut the conversation down if somebody says GIF or GIF, whatever it is. Let's call sure, them both. You know what? You know what I call them, Spencer. I call them fun. They're fun. You know, I've never advised you on something. You need to be more angry about things, sir. It makes life more fun. Can't do it. This is this the philosophy I live by. Uh, <laughs> Yin and yang on this podcast. Absolutely. Uh, he, Ted pushes it. Roy hilariously calls him out that, why won't you let me be happy? That was so funny, yeah. <laughs> the owner walks over, and I found this scene a little bit awkward just because it's so on the nose of where the o- owner comes over and offers his own personal story yeah. about how he left medical school a week before graduation, upsetting his father because while he would have been a great doctor, it wasn't what he was meant to do. It's like, show you're smarter than this. I get it. You don't need to be this on the nose about it. But fine, they wanted to hammer the point home for the characters, I suppose. Bedside manner, breeding charts, cutting up shit. (laughs) Cutting up shit proved useful later, as we can see. Uh, The owner asks whether Ted enjoyed his food. Ted quotes Drake, and the owner walks off. Baby, you uh, the best. Baby, you the best. <laughs> and Ted cuts even more to the chase and asks Roy, okay, fine. What I really need is your help with Isaac. Roy's on the same page when it comes to that one. Really seems like he is in a place that he can help. However, as he kind of agrees, in the, no, not in those terms that he's gonna, Ted walks off, continuing the church experience, but with Roy basically saying that in his mind, the place has, be, has been desanctified from its holy nature from Ted's mere presence. Let me finish my kebab and pray on it. <laughs> uh, we cut now to Nate's training, where they're putting Ooh. him through a full mock restaurant reservation process. Did they you start get the with... sense that Keeley was trying to be as cute as possible behind the podium to fur- further like, make him you know, have to deal with his awkwardness? Yes, really just to play it up, play with that kind of flirting that goes into the whole experience, and also right. particularly the Keeley style of flirting. She starts with the classic thing of the hostess saying his name wrong, which Nate... Does the most Nate thing he can in response to that and just rolls with it. He like, says, oh, yep. yes, yes, sorry, sorry, Shelby. And then Rebecca had a very funny moment. Nope, no, nope. that is not your name. <laughs> it's I a feel reminder. the need to clarify no, this. No, that is not your name, Nathan. Uh, they stop, restart. Nate, you're going to get your name right. 
Nate then goes into his main means of expressing himself lately and just goes to straight angry loud abuse. He says, it's Shelly and you know it, you dithering castle! I love that line. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm probably going to refer to someone in some way in the future as a dithering kestrel because that's just a great way of expressing that. Uh, Keely is caught is caught off guard by this. Rebecca focuses in that no, 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 no. You don't need to be loud. It's not loud. It's to be commanding. Yes. Often you'd be much more effectively commanding without being loud. Nate offers though that no, no, no. You're you take command of a room just by walking into it. It's the nature of you, Spencer. Yeah. Do you think Rebecca commands the room of every commands every room she walks in? Just question for you. Absolutely fucking yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a check mark from Spencer. I mean, if no if nothing else, she's a very tall woman. Tall women have a tendency to command the room just when they walk in, and Rebecca's like a solid 5'11 kind of thing. Particularly yeah, she's she's tall and gorgeous, so yeah, absolutely. Ab- absolutely. It's a good line for yeah, me. But she does focus in on one thing where I can agree that probably not, of where she says, eh, no, 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 no. Have you been to a football club owner's room yeah. before? Yeah. That, that's a fair point there. That's a room she wouldn't command immediately. And it's like, oh, no, obviously not. I haven't. That You know, the moment they look at her, they think of her, I'll look at this little girl with pigtails. Uh, Rebecca Keeley and I agree that she'd look fit as hell in pigtails, but they go past that point. Oh, you and wow, fit with pigtails. I do. Uh, I gotta say, we all need a friend. I'm just gonna little life lessons with Lee here. Uh, we all need, we all need... A friend like Keely. Keely is such man? a hype. She's such a hype man for Rebecca. Oh, yeah. In like such a great way. Oh, yeah. Like she constantly throws in, in this episode and other episodes, like when Rebecca is even just talking about something normal. She's like, yeah, you're great at that. Or you're well fit. Or you look great. Constant hype man. Got to be a really positive presence in people's lives. Shout out to Keely. Uh, they then go into what Rebecca's secret is for getting through these moments. These stressful moments where she isn't just naturally commanding the room. And her idea is, you've got to go in and make yourself big. It's this weird, giant cat hissing at big dog kind of expression that she then puts on. uh, Which she openly admits is silly. However, Keely has the most, probably one of my favorite lines of the episode or show response to this. Rebecca does this big hissing cat thing. And then Keely just says, utterly entranced and inspired... Fuck, you're amazing. Let's invade France. Let's invade France. <laughs> it's such a wonderful line. It's just like, this is just like the last thousand years of English leadership summarized in one line right there. Of where, oh my God, you're amazing. Let's invade France together. That's just what we do. Yeah, and if you've ever uh, listened to any of our other other review podcasts, you know that Spencer and I used to do a segment on other shows called Best Line of the Episode. Uh, we don't do Best Line with Ted just because we don't want to like retell the jokes over and over again, although we kind of do that in the recap. But, you know, like Best Line doesn't land as well in a comedy. But I will say, if we were doing Best Line of the Episode, Fuck You're Amazing, Let's Invade France has to be up there. That Top five. incredible. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, Rebecca really encourages Nate, though. It's not about that. That's silly, but it works for me, and you need to find your own thing that works for you. The key thing, though, is to not back down. You deserve this, and you should claim it. Keely then also, you know, as Nate, he's nodding, he's getting it, he's going to try to find his own thing. Keely also gives him a wink, which is everything I've ever wanted right there, too, so that just completes the experience. Uh, And the scene ends. Uh, Ted and Isaac are now walking around a back alley at night in a way that could be a play out for a very different kind of murder mystery than this show usually does, but they're not really sure where they're going. Roy just said they kind of wanted to meet them in a bad side of town at middle of the night for reasons. 
they discuss the idea that Royd Kent's uh, hangry side eye is a thing of terror, but it motivates things. Re Roy reveals himself in a really terrifyingly funny scene of where Ted Wait Dixon. Wait a second. I can't believe you went over this one. I, 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 said, I was giving you the opportunity to say the lines. You didn't say them. Come on. Here he comes. Isaac, where the hell are we going uh, here with Roy anyway? Ted, same thing you do when you cross an elephant with a rhinoceros. Yeah, if I knew. <laughs> oh, my God. I Most tell you every week, every week that I am here for the pop culture references. ton of them in this episode, by the way. Oh. With the bullet, probably. And the Ted-isms. I'm always here for the Ted-isms. I got to say, Spencer, this might be a top one or two Ted-ism. That one Same right there? Same thing you do when you cross an elephant with a rhinoceros elephant. That is that is like peak Ted. And yeah, uh, just a spoiler alert here for you and your personal life. You will hear that from me oh, again. No. Oh, just no. at a random conversation somewhere <laughs> when you ask a basic question. Hey, Terry, where are we going for uh, lunch today? Uh, same thing you do when you cross an elephant with a rhinoceros. Elephanto. You will get to see me put my put on my best beard hat and just say, I'm done. And out of the room I go. Right then and there. I, I really did love that one. It was a funny line. Uh Ted, not sure where Roy is, just texts him. And we get a wonderfully funny reveal of where the light just comes on on Roy's phone with him looking like a serial killer five feet in front of him. Two of them flinch back at seeing Roy in all of this, you know, abject terror. Uh, and Roy, without saying a word, just leads them further into the dark. As they arrive at what appears to be a very isolated soccer pitch with overlooking the flat where Roy grew up when he was a kid. This is the place where Roy lived. This is the place where Roy learned football every day. And it's the place where he returned to over the course of his career when he was going through bad patches. He sends Isaac off to play with these players, with Isaac kind of confident, saying, you know, I'm a professional player. I'm going to kick their ass. These guys kind of know their trade, though. And so Roy's like, hey, let's see. Go have fun. So and this is a, an absolute sports trope in real life and in sports movies of the star tr having trouble in his, his new stardom professional life, going back to his roots. Your roots. Play, and it's, it's huge in basketball. Let's go yep. back to those that, that, that concrete jungle. Let's go back to that the hard asphalt of the New York City inner streets. Let's go back to Bed-Stuy. Let's go back to Brooklyn, what? Astoria. Let's get on those on those courts and play the old guys from the neighborhoods again. Shout out to my guy, Meta World Peace, formerly Ron Artest. One time he was asked, who's the best player you ever played against? He said, well, there's a guy back from my hood named Charlie. He's number one, number two, Kobe. So just want to point out <laughs> that Ron Artest thought a guy back from his, his hood was number one, Kobe, too. Very, very reminiscent of this where Roy is basically saying, hey, look, these guys got game and uh, good luck with them. And it's also one of those things that just really reminds me that uh, sports movies and romantic comedies really have a lot in common in terms of the themes and tropes and the structure that they play out. It's just a question of where the love is directed. With sports films built towards love of the game, love of the experience, love yeah. of the life that you've led, romantic comedies built encapsulating that love in another person. But very much the kind of similar focus and theme that they're building into each other. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Ted, on the other hand, is instructed to do absolutely nil, which you know, ultimately no. concludes... They're gonna let him. They're, they're gonna let him keep score and nothing else. Good. I use my fingers. Uh, we've arrived at the restaurant, sir. We're back at a taste of Athens. Here we go. Uh, dum dum. Where Nate's wearing a lovely suit, and we get to meet his family for the first time. His dad is. Uh, kudos to the actor. You cannot look at that man without thinking, "Oh, that's a sourpuss right there." He's he's really good. Yeah, he plays that well. He's just, you. One glance, that man says, oh, you're going to be a pill to deal with, and I know this already. Kind of reminds me of Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's sort of like always <laughs> in, pissed off, the, resting face. The, in, 
the Indian version of Uncle Phil right there. Yeah, there you go, yeah. Uh, Nate introduces his family to Jade, uh, and they she promptly leads them off to the corner table. Uh, Nate accepts this at first, but then runs off to the bathroom and tries to find his thing. He eventually does. Lee, what's his thing? Looks in the mirror. You are Nathan fucking Shelby. <laughs> and spits, spits on himself in the, in the mirror. mirror. Yo, look, we're all rooting for Nate. I mean, I think we have to root for Nate. He's wrong in his interactions with Will. I will point that out. But and Nate, the team too. we're all rooting for Nate. Spitting in the mirror and walking out is so Douche gross. Move. Such yeah. a gross move. And he just Nate. leaves it. He leaves it dripping oh. down the mirror. Oh. Someone's got to clean that, Nate. Jesus. And it's a, also, it's a weird thing. You know, Rebecca's thing is going to be weird enough people walking in aren't doing that. They're always going to be awkward. Bill spitting on the mirror while, you know, seemingly on himself. That's a weird kind of psychological thing we're going through right there. I will say second, first of two wrestling entrances of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. Yes, it is that. As Nate walks back to the hostess, and how would you summarize his style of what he pre- tells her right then and there? Oh, hello, doll. We're back to hello, doll, Nate. We, we are Nate at the bar. Yeah, that's, what, that's he, what we got. He summons his confidence, and he, I'm not going to do the full quote, but he really politely but firmly asks that his family be moved to the window table and frames it in ways that, you know, help me help you kind of thing. It was actually a really smart move to say, hey, look, we're going to do a three-course meal with a bottle of wine. So it's going to be a big tab, probably a big tip, but we're going to get the we'll hell out of quick. here fast. Yeah, yes. that is that is something they like. Well, he frames it right. It's not just confidence. He sells it through the confidence. That's yeah. the best way to do it. And she's immediately like, okay, sure, yeah, well said. Question for you, he, Spencer. Yeah. Why does she agree? It's no skin off her nose. Okay. I, I was wondering, I was actually kind of thinking, like, what, what with what Nate did, what is it about what Nate did that made her say yes? Is it just the abject confidence? Is it? he presented a reasonable argument or is it the underdog of the question? Is there a slight little bit um, of uh, attraction there to Nate? Yeah. Charmed attraction to Nate. There, there might be an element of a few things there. She pretty putly, you know, squashes the third one, at least openly. For now. Well, and it's always an awkward thing. Never ask for somebody's number when they're on duty. That's always awkward. I completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. That is a lesson out there to the kids from Uncle Lee. Thank you for the reminder, Spencer. Uh, And this is something that young people really need to know. I understand that when you're out at a bar, at a restaurant, it's your fun time. You're having fun. So you think it's time to have romantic conversations, pick up women, et cetera, et cetera. You have to understand the people behind the bar, the person waiting on you, that is their job. They're on the clock. It's not time for them to meet people. So, yeah, don't do that. It's a bad look. Also, a bit of advice for people that are at a, you know, a coffee place, a restaurant, whatever else. A certain amount of flirting from your hostess, your barista, your waiter is kind of part of their job. It's yeah, kind it of how they, mean they like better you. tips. Doesn't it's mean not, they like it's not it's not you. Not yeah. You. It's okay. We've we've all been with that guy where you're at a table you're you're getting you're getting food and the guy looks and goes, Hey, I think she's got a thing for me. And everyone at the table God. goes, She does not have a thing for you. No. <laughs> I, I, not I had true. a guy, I had a friend who <laughs> would just always crush on baristas. He's like, dude, they all love me. They all flirt with me right away. It's like, no, dude, that 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 is just the nature of the profession, man. That 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 is just how that goes. It's not you. It's okay. But lesson a life lesson from Spencer right there. I offer a few every now and then. There you go. I like it. Uh but Though he doesn't get her number, it's possible she seems at least a little bit charmed in the moment by him. Yep. Whatever else, it works. 
They get the table. Nate's dad, uh, Nate's dad is still a sourpuss because that's just what he is. He but gives Nate, him a little hint of a smile, though, doesn't he? He gives a little hint. He does. I was curious where they're going to reference that. He does. The mom looks proud. And Nate is smiling ear to ear as we Beaming. look in now in the window. Big W for Nate. Shout out to Nate. Yeah. Kudos to Nate right there. We'll see if it lasts to the end of the episode, maybe. We'll see. Mm. Uh, Isaac appears to be struggling a little bit with playing with the Flats team. And comes over to Roy. He's like, well, you can't I did or break my fucking leg. And Roy's like, no, okay, fine, you idiot. I'm going to tell you exactly why I sent you out here. I brought you here to remind you that football is a fucking game that you used to play as a fucking kid because it was fun. Even when you were getting your fucking legs broken or your fucking feelings hurt. So fuck your feelings. Fuck your overthinking. Fuck all that bullshit. Go back out there and have some fucking fun. I'm inspired. <laughs> oh, yeah. The crowd goes wild. Absolutely. I, this is Roy at Coach Roy. This is Roy pulling his captain card out and demonstrating how he can effectively get someone, particularly like Isaac, going. It's beautiful. It works perfectly. It's exactly what he wants to hear. As Ted expresses, you know, there's a certain element of where all the fucks just kind of blend into the background when it's Roy talking to you. It's like, you know, nipples and showgirls, as he expresses. But he compliments Roy as that was a well done thing you just did there. I will say this sort of like, let's get back to the root of the game. Let's get back to having fun. Um, Big trope in football sports movies. And I'll tell you. Absolutely. um, This might be a glass breaking thing for a lot of the listeners. Here's how they often do it in football sports movies. It's. Let's go out and play in the rain. Let's go out and play in the mud. Let's go out and yeah. play at night. If you go play get in the, dirty. If you play in the elements, you're getting dirty. Exactly. There's more of a chance that it'll harken back to that just sort of fun. They did it. Remember the Titans? They did it they did. in uh, Friday Night Lights. Yeah. It's, it's a classic trope. This show loves to play with tropes. And it's not, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the examples of tropes aren't bad. Tropes are useful. No, They're yeah. a common feeling to get people right in, the, right in the emotional response you want them to. That's what the show does very well. Um, I, I said Roy compliments him on this, makes a comparison to showgirls. Uh, 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 sorry, Ted compliments him on this. Roy reveals that apparently he dated Gina Gershon, which I love Ted's response to that. It's just, well, that just makes me happy. It's like his life is more complete to know this. Isaac, on the other hand, finds a bit of the fire, a bit Killing of the steel again. Routing he, fools. He just proceeds to just have a blast kicking ass. And while he's having fun, Song 2 by Blur is playing. It's a perfect song for the moment. Woohoo! It's, it's great. Perfect gets the moment. It also is one of the moments of where I, it's fun to see which of the actors clearly play soccer. The actor who plays Isaac clearly plays soccer. At least they yes. very well structured it. That, he doesn't look like the build of a soccer player. He looks like he plays rugby. That guy's really pretty quick when he wants to be when he's on the pitch. Yeah, he is. He's he's got a little got a little excess on him, a little excess on him. But like he he can move, and he obviously does play soccer. I'll tell you one thing I love that they did in that scene, and how they sort of blocked it, and and did the choreography is that it is very clear that while he's kicking ass, he's scoring a lot of goals. He is working with his team. And he's being a fun. leader. A lot of great passes. There's this great moment where someone passes to him and he lets he kind of fake kicks. It goes between his legs. Somebody else can get it. Pass back to him and he kicks it in. And then he gets down on one knee. Does uh, the shoe this shine. girl comes up, puts her knee, puts her foot up there, shoe shine, cut back to Roy. Roy is loving it. I just love that they they took the moment to show you that yes, he's getting back to having fun with the game, but it's not just I'm a professional, I'm better than you. Let me show you how good I am. It's let me get this team going right. and working. He's, and that's he, what made me think, like, okay, Isaac might be back. 
Yeah, this isn't him like becoming a season one Jamie. This is him becoming late season one Isaac in terms of what we're seeing right here. And it's good yeah, to see sure. it. Uh, the game ends. Isaac clearly had a wonderful time and it clearly finally kind of got him back in the mindset that they needs to him to succeed. And the team really desperately needs to succeed. As the... <laughs> Haven't heard that one before. We'll see if we see that more over the course of the season. As they're walking back, Ted compliments Roy again on a job well done. And Roy, in the style of very much last season, immediately fucking knows what Ted's trying to do. And he's still powerless for it, you know, to have an effect, just to avoid it having an effect on him. It's a very common theme with Roy-Ted interactions. It's playing out here. Particularly since Ted proceeds to use the power of, and I think I got him right, when Harry met Sally, Jerry Maguire, and Notting Hill quotes for the purpose wow, of trying to get Roy... look at you, yes. I, I know my movies. Man, because I'm here tonight when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life coaching with somebody. You want the rest of your life to begin right now. ASAP, bing, Harry met Sally. Please stop. Yep. You complete our team. Bing, Jerry Maguire. You're an asshole. I'm also just a coach standing in front of a boy. Bing, Notting Hill. It's wonderfully worked in. It's be it's beautiful like through line between all three of those quotes. Um, he's re again, really trying to sell Roy on being a coach. But Roy, in just no uncertain terms, tells him he's not returning to Richmond. This is Fuck not off. what he's doing. Ted ends with a Princess Bride quote, just to complete the reference, which is again why I thought they were at least there of the view it could qualify as a romantic comedy, at least to some degree. With the as you wish as he walks away. And the two of them head off in different directions into the dark. The next day, Ted and Beard link up outside of his place, with apparently Ted being late because he got the AM and PM on his phone set incorrectly. I do Yes, that sir, Steve Kerr. Got that line in. Yes, sir, Steve uh, Kerr is important. That one comes up later, actually. Uh, explain that one to me. I wasn't sure. Uh, well, he's he just saying, uh, yes, sir, Steve Kerr. Uh, there's no, that's not a reference to anything in particular other than the fact that Steve Kerr is a coach, um, yeah. a sporting team, and the reference to Steve Kerr does come up later. I'll, 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 I'll map it for okay. you. But it's not like, a, it, yes, sir, Steve Kerr is not particularly a quote. He's just referencing the coach. I knew Steve Kerr. I just wasn't sure if, like, is the yes sir Steve Kerr like a common, you know, saying no. that's said to the guy? D didn't think it was. Uh, they discuss Easy Lover being the perfect amount of time necessary to get dressed in the morning, which, yeah, sure, yeah. Quick quick dress in the morning is an essential part of getting, getting up with the day. Makes sense. Uh, and Ted reveals the end of his joke about what a British owl says, completing the worst joke possible that we didn't even know had been set up. Whom? 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 Worth the wait. The fans arrive at the stadium, and this may be one of the odder scenes we've got of the entire series, of where we get an extended montage of couples together while Nat King Cole plays, followed and by a long story is of, an, the way you look. of an old couple meeting each other, falling in love, and then their ongoing litigation against James Cameron. We've never gotten this kind of, these aren't our main characters, they're literally just talking to the camera kind of moments before in the show. It caught me a little off guard, though it was still fun, I suppose. So that's a that's another rom-com reference. This is I this is when Harry met Sally at the very end, when the the couples are sitting there looking at the camera and they're explaining how they got together. That's the very end of when Harry met Sally. Also, I believe potentially a callback to Annie Hall. So Ooh, it seems like it seems like one, yeah. seems like neither one of those really landed with you when they did this scene. I had a, a, a nice, uh, very polite argument with my wife about if they were calling back when Harry met Sally or Annie Hall in this scene. I, I think it might be both. I don't know. I, I figured they were, but nothing was coming to mind. But I think those are good calls about what the reference could be there. Uh, 
while that, that is happening, Rebecca continues to be on banter with LDN152, now discussing football, because she's at a game and he seems to be excited that she's, you know, into football and asks what her favorite team is. And she's still being coy, because if she said Richmond too fast, it'd be revealed who the hell he is. And that exactly. Could be an issue. That's exactly what they're doing, right? She says, yes, oh, that's too is. personal. Of course, if she said Richmond, then obviously Ted would have followed up. And then we cut to Ted oh, on his cell phone. At oh, the my same God. time. At the, at same, the same time. time. And I'd like to point out, when she says that's too personal, he it cuts to him. He reads that, smiles, seems to smile. phone in his pocket. Here's my theory. He smiles, phone in his pocket, because he knows, oh, my God, if she's a football fan, and to the point that We're she thinks even revealing to his, uh, re- revealing her team is too personal. That shows it's very near and dear to her heart. He's got it in because he's a football coach. Yes. That is exactly what he's yeah. thinking. I mean, at this point, it would be even more subversive if it wasn't them. It's, it's They're giving us so many hints at this point that it is. Yep, we'll find a- out. But it seems to be clearly setting up that the two of them are going to have some reveal of, oh, my God, it's you later on before this I season's done. We'll see how that plays. We'll see how it plays out, you shipping Woo. fool. Woohoo! Uh, Dr. Sh- while you know Ted's smiling and texting at the same time as Rebecca... Uh, Dr. Sharon checks in on Ted. Notably checks in on Ted. She's been watching Ted several times. And again, this is factoring into my Ted seems to be a bit forced kind of thing. Coach. And Ted, Doctor. Floor. Ceiling. Trash can. Now you go. Question for you, Spencer. Does he just have these loaded and ready all the time? Because that was so quick. So fast. And she said, so Coach, fast. he had that one in the chamber. It's like, it makes you wonder how many of these does Ted just walk around with ready to go at any point? <laughs> I don't know if it's a repertoire or if he's just that quick. But whatever it is. God, does it make some, some really funny moments that play out between him and other characters. For sure. Uh, ask him how he's doing. Ted responds that he's under pressure, as it were. <laughs> as the song plays out. Uh, and she reminds him that her door is always open for him, too. Again, I think this is the direction they're heading in before this season is done. We've got five more episodes. I'll be curious to see where that bullet ever goes out the gun. Ew, that may be a dangerous reference before we're done. Um, he makes a shining joke in response to that, to which we learn... Even more about Beard's very complicated history and awards in the past. Five good wax. Lumberjack World Championship qualifier, baby. Uh, Yes, please. Can we get Beard's backstory? I just want to know. I want his Wikipedia page before the series is done. Question for you. Uh, Dr. Sharon says, so you're feeling under pressure. And Ted goes, babadoo, babadoo. Is that an R2-D2 reference? No, I think that was the Queen version of the song reference. Okay, because it, it was it was not yeah I think because it, it could have been either he's singing along to the Queen song or I think he is. it's I mean it, it wasn't he didn't do that very well I mean if that was the reference he didn't do it very well so it kind of sounded like R two D two to me it sounded like R two D two but I think he was doing the uh, Freddie Mercury's just kind of little vocal things that he does in the middle of that song at various points from Under Pressure yeah yeah you're probably right I was hoping it was R two D two. Nate looks in, and sir, you are a man of class. You are a man of knowing how to dress well. How would you score Nate's uh, suit here and here, here now? Okay, I'm giving it a nine. Only because giving it a pant- nine. Yeah, only, it's very, very good. I think the pants are a little, little too big for him. Um, they, Pant- they, didn't, they didn't tailor the pants particularly well, but the, the they, suit, they, the, the the jacket, the, the, the top is pristine. Yes, yeah. uh, good color scheme for him too. I thought as well too. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, I said, Ted's celebrating Nate looking classy. Everyone gives him a chance to just, you know, be confident in himself and be happy. Ted drops what I think is an Albert Einstein quote with, uh, if you are out to describe truth, leave elegance to the tailor. Just a great quote. God, he's got a lot of them. 
yeah, man, that man's just well-read. You can really make references to all these kind of classical figures and writers in the past. It's just interesting how he can do that. I wonder if there's anybody else we know that does that. Huh. Mm. Oh, well. Uh, back at Soccer Saturday, uh, Roy, I think the best way we can describe this, has a mid-career crisis while on air. So they, they're talking about Arsenal heading into the new, uh, heading on the road to Newcastle, where 17-year-old Matthew Kerr will make his debut. Go back to the Yes Sir Steve Kerr. Matthew Kerr is actually in real life Steve Kerr's son. Really? Is he yep. playing soccer? No, he's just he's just his son. I don't know why they did this. Maybe they, <laughs> maybe somebody with the show knows Steve Kerr or something, but they put a Steve sure. Kerr reference in and then mapped to his son later on in the episode. I don't know. It's just there. Why not? Brett uh, really realizes, as said on air, that this just kind of isn't what he wants to do. He doesn't want to just be on the outside looking in, judging them. He wants to be back with the team however he can, because ultimately, and I, this was a, a heartbreaking kind of line, is they're asking Roy, he's like, oh, Roy, it's cold out there. You don't miss that, do you? And Roy, just with just almost a certain measure of pain and loss in his voice, says that he misses all of it. I miss all of it. Yeah. yeah. I told you, I don't know. All we do is sit here and guess what a bunch of little pricks are going to do and uh, go and do out there. And then we come back at halftime, we complain because they didn't do exactly what we thought they'd do. We don't know. Of course we don't know. And then he goes on to talk about you're not in the locker room. You're not there with him. You're not in the pitch with him. And I think that's when he starts to really mentally think, okay, I'm just sitting here judging these guys. I'm not actually doing what I can to help them. Right? And it goes back to this idea of, of helping people and service that is so central to the show. It's what can I do to help someone else? And I think Roy has that sort of reveal to himself is I am now not the captain. I can't help the team. I can't play with them. And instead of helping them, I'm sitting here in judgment of them. And I think that was part of the thing that snaps for him. It's one of those, one of those things where Roy hates that him and Ted have more in common than he would ever prefer to admit, just in terms of what really motivates them to get to be in the game. It's not just about being good. He was great. But he's really realizing that fostering these young guys, improving their talent, it's why he chose to be a coach of this little league team, is that that's one of the things he really gravitates towards. It's one of the things we worried about with him being a, a pundit, is that how much that would really not scratch the itch and may even just frustrate him. And we think we get to see that play out here. One of the things that really drives him over, though, is to see the video of Richmond getting ready for the next game and Isaac working the team. Mackadoodle-doo! I'll tell you one thing I think this might be a reference to, Spencer. I'm here for the sports references, so let me reveal this one. I think it's a LeBron James reference. LeBron James... Yeah, LeBron James very famously throughout his his run... He doesn't do it quite as much anymore. He's kind of like old man... You know, uh, old man in the NBA now. He just sort of stands upon a mountain and proclaims things from his Twitter and Instagram account. But I, I think this is a LeBron James reference because when he was really in the heart of taking the Miami teams, taking the Cleveland's team to every single fucking final, uh, representing the East, he always had a special handshake for every player, and it was different with every player. And mm. it got to the point that it was so famous that ESPN would actually show the the handshakes so they would they would take like 10 15 seconds or whatever hmm. it was to show him in line with his team it's a, it's a it's a sort of part of the pregame ritual that's often not televised and they would show lebron going through which each, each individual handshake actually got so popular that online people would dissect the handshakes and they would figure out who had the longest handshake with LeBron and then they would do a power <laughs> rankings of his friends. They'd say, okay, oh, well, that, wow. that handshake was 20 moves. Therefore, mm, mm, Dwayne Wade mm. is his favorite player. 
Kevin Love's was five, therefore Kevin Love is not his favorite player. So it, it was that sort of transparent, ubiquitous in sports media. So this might be a reference to that. Just wanted very, to give you, give you that one. Very possible, very possible. Roy seems very much inspired to see the effect that he's already had on Isaac in just that one moment of where Isaac seems like his old self from back in season one again. He's leading the team, he's getting them inspired, he's getting them the exact right mindset that they need to go into this game and kick ass. Ooh. And seeing that, seeing what he can do, what he wants to do, what he actually wants to be involved in the sport again, Roy, middle of broadcast, apologizes, takes off his mic, shares a bit of a Shane moment with Jeff as Jeff calls after him, but Roy just has to leave. Jeff, I have to go. I love Jeff's response, too. It's just like, you've seen the truth. It's just like, I understand, man. I understand. I He's kind of nods. Uh, and Roy proceeds to, with a very Tom Cruise style of running through town, run, partly at least travel, across all of London to get to the stadium on time. The man buys off a cabbie with just a big wad of fuck-off cash. He gives... I don't even know what that watch may be worth to a, to a bike guy to get him to go a little bit farther after his knee gives out. He does everything he needs to to get to the stadium on time. I'm giving you a reference to start squeeing now if you want to, but we're building up to the moment. I know you're really going to squee. Uh, Let's fucking go, Spencer. Let's go. It's He tries to walk into the stadium. The guards make a show of not recognizing him, but I can't tell whether they're fucking with him or not. Maybe. Uh... He goes to pick up his ticket, which is left for... Who was the ticket left Reba for? Reba McIntyre. Continuing a run of that old joke of country music stars. Do, 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 do. Great, do, great, do, great star. Do, 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 do. Oh, my God, with the piano from She's a Rainbow going in the background oh. as he's making this trek there. It's... It is... I like so I'm so I'll just tell you what I'm doing. I'm running on the treadmill, right? And I'm watching this. Yep. And nope. I the hands nope. start going up and pumping as he's making his way there. <laughs> and he gets there, he gets this to Reba McIntyre. Oh my god, this song builds right from that piano yes. all the way up to where Mick Jagger starts singing. And when he, he gets I believe you have a ticket for Reba McIntyre, and then the guy behind the ticket counter says, Good to have you back. Oh, Good to have you back, Reba. Yeah, it's uh, great. And, it was starting. The tear duct started to get loose. Started to get loose. I, I I love too that even as he's doing that, he growls down to the child, and the child just immediately just starts beaming ear to ear. But oh, oh my it, god, it's Roy! It is Roy. <laughs> Roy growled at me. This will complete my life story now. Uh, walks up to the guards, tells them to fuck off. It is you. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he gets his way onto the pitch while Higgins and his wife reunite with the song building, the music going, the two I of them hugging. I think that's a Love Actually reference because, you know, it, it looks like they're in the terminal. Yeah. Very much looks like the terminal. Uh, Roy finally gets his knee back into place. Dear God, talk oh. to the surgeon, please. Oh. Uh, arrives now. He's on the pitch. He starts to walk out. And the crowd recognizes him immediately. And the chants start. Sir, you do it so well. Give it to me. He's there. He's there. He's every fucking way. Roy can. Roy can. The music's he's blaring. He's the crowd's he's chanting. Keely's seeing him as she go Roy as he goes, uh, as he just marches, lockstep across the pitch, straight up to Ted. He approaches. Ted almost looks a little misty. Roy and Nader's looking over like, what the hell is happening? And he completes beautifully the perfect Jerry Maguire moment. That's where Ted starts to say, you know, coach, whatever else. Like, no, no, no. You had me at coach. 
It yeah. leaves Beard speechless. Shut the fuck up. You had me at coach. So here's here's something I loved about this is that Roy is no longer a player. And we know that his time yeah. in AFC Richmond, he was not the best version of his soccer self. He was no. not the best play, the best version of, of his defensive presence, the Roy Kent that everyone knew from his time. Um, where was he in Barcelona or wherever he was in a, in a much you know more esteemed Chelsea. Fo- uh, Chelsea. football club? Chelsea, much more esteemed football club. But they loved Roy Kent so much that him simply mid game, by the way. Mid-game, he walks across the sidelines. The entire place erupts in the Roy Kent chant. It was, this is the type of stuff I live for in sports. Like, it really is. Where there's such an impact from a player and their personality and what they sacrifice in the sport that the the fans are that locked in. It really did get me misty-eyed, this idea that all he had to do is walk in. And remember, we've had episodes now in the season where he rejects the idea of going back it's too hard for him right Mm -hmm. but when he breaks that that sort of mental barrier for himself and he goes you know i am going to go back they welcome him with the most open arms they possibly can with the roy kent chant oh my god what a moment really loved it one of the best moments of the series right there embodied yes uh i I love that when uh uh, when roy sticks the jerry mcguire quote beard is just speechless he just (gasps) (laughs) it's great uh, and he walks over to join the coaching staff. However, as he does, and as he walks past Nate, we get a discordant violin join the music as things are going, as we get to see Nate's reaction to Roy coming up and joining Ashton. Yeah. How would you describe what we see out of Nate in that moment? I think Nate knows his, his place in the pecking order now, and I think he knows that there's, a, there's somebody there that's going to be a, a bigger presence than him. I think he likes Roy, but I think he's scared of him, and I think he knows that this is not particularly great for his job. Um, so I think everyone is into this moment. I think you, you caught a really good part with the score, by the way, because they're very intentional in how they score this, that when they gave you that little bit of staccato there, that little bit um, of a, a tweak in the, in the music, I think they're saying that this isn't great for everybody. But I do want to point out, I believe it's the first time we've ever seen Roy misty-eyed. Because he does this this well, thing that he does this thing that guys do where he's misty and he actually starts going, <sighs> starts breathing hard to try to stop it. Well acted by by the guy who plays Roy. I thought it was really. It good. is beautifully well acted. I will disagree with you though because we have seen Keeley's fat material before, and that included Roy's uh, uh, going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we saw a video retirement the, speech. Yeah, but yeah, this is actually like Roy that we're seeing in person. And he's, he's misty, and I, I don't know that I expected him to get misty when he walked in the stadium. But between the reaction of the fans, I think him actually being on the pitch again, and a subtle moment, Isaac seeing it and cheering. See, I thought that yeah. was important, too, because you, you kind of wonder, is Isaac going to feel like Roy's going to overshadow him, especially the fact that he's mid-game and the, ch- the fans are cheering for him? No, Isaac does not have that reaction at all. What? Instead, he's super excited. He actually... Uh, claps and then starts like hustling, like Getting jumping in place, like let's go, let's well, play. So motivated for sure. It's a it's apparent that he's not a, just a star. He's not just you know the returning great. He's a totem of the team. He's a power to the team. His mere presence gets everyone even more engaged. Not just in Roy, but yep. in the team itself. Yep. That's the power of Roy. That's how everybody was waiting for him to return for the effect that he could have on the team just by his presence being there. And it's wonderful to see it play out just the way that Ted has clearly always expected that it would. 
And we end the episode on this moment of wonderful feelings from everyone, maybe some more mixed feelings for Nate. We'll have to see how that plays out. Yep. Okay, great job with the recap, Spencer. In a long episode, a good solid 40 minutes from this episode, did give me one of the best moments that I've ever gotten in this show, and that was Roy Kent returning to the pitch and everyone cheering. It doesn't get much better for me in this show than that. Absolutely. It is a powerful moment. It's one of the moments that only this show can so beautifully set up, now with episodes building up. And it's one of the things of where those concerns I expressed earlier, it's why I have so mixed views on them, it's because this show is so content to do a five-episode build-up to these kind of moments. It's not doing, you know, the later season Game of Thrones of where we'll introduce something and it wraps up an episode later. It's really content to give us time to go into them, to the point we may even forget or think they're not going to go in that direction, which gives me hope that some of these may play out before the end of the season is done. Completely agree. Do you want to jump to train wreck of the episode? It's a interesting thing to ponder here because a lot of people have some pretty positive arcs, really. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, pretty difficult here for train wreck of the episode. I mean, obviously you could go Isaac because he's such a disaster early on, but his redemption arc, how he gets back into the game. And I mentioned before, like, I, I really think it's important that they showed that Isaac was excited that Roy was back. I think yes. that is key to show you that this team is about to go on a run. They are locked in Damn, now. Do I they think they're going to start winning some games. So I, I can't go with Isaac. You could po- possibly say Nate, but Nate has one of the best moments of his entire of the entire show for him, which he gets the table, he gets a smile from his dad, so I can't go with Nate either. I, like I often do for my train wreck of the episode, will go with a very minor character what in are a you very minor do? moment. I am picking Zorro for the super cheap move of trying to sell the Nespresso machine back Oh, come to on. Keely. That was me. Leave me alone. Terrible, terrible move socially. It you was so bad know that, I do Ke- that. that Keely looked at him and just with a disgusted manner said no. And Keely typically does not is not harsh with people, but that was about as harsh as Keely gets selling him. No, I'm not going to fucking pay you for the machine I just gave you. So I f- my train wreck of the episode is Zorro. Who, are, who is yours? I, I feel personally attacked because you absolutely know I would try to pull that shit in that moment right there. Yeah, and you should get the no that Keeley gave Zoro. Oh, uh, I'm actually going to go with Nate. Just, just in terms of even the moments of where Nate is positive, we have concerns about the grounding and foundation for it. Where Nate has his best utter moment, but his way of building himself up is kind of problematic. And just in terms of what we see play out. And where he ends up at the end of this episode, even where we started, because like we said, the start of this episode almost just feels like we're throwing back to like early season one, Nate, an idea of either, I, I don't, I can't say the show's inconsistent necessarily because we haven't seen it play out, but they're definitely focusing on different aspects than they have for the prior episodes of Nate's character. That a lot of this confidence and a lot of this aggression that we're seeing is possibly much more of a facade than a place that he actually is at. And we got to see at the end of this episode just how fragile even the accomplishments he's had are so far and how quickly they can fall about he's not a guy who knows who he is yet he's not a guy who knows where he is yet and until he can find that he's just one flitter of a butterfly's wing away from disaster yeah i think i mean nate is a good choice um but he he did have a good moment but man he i feel like that character is always on the edge of just yes being being miserable and hating things he he probably he probably needs to go to dr sharon yeah exactly yeah we're right there together he probably needs a little help he doesn't like himself. I think that really plays out, and that can inform everything you do. Okay, you want to go to Sports Center Top 10, where we uh, address 10 things that we liked about the episode, not 9 out of 11. We have to stick the landing, Spencer. It has to be 10 on the nose. How can we stick ourselves to 10 this episode, man? It's a lot of things. There's some really good ones. you want to go first? I'm going to do the obvious one, and I'm going to do a broad one, just to spite you. 
Roy's return at the end of this episode is a thing of beauty. It is the end of a sports movie kind of moment right there. It is a beautiful scene. His charge across town, the reactions of the characters, the reactions of the fans, fans. and you are cheering along with them. Why the hell are you watching this show? I love that he breaks his knee back into place. He stands up. He's ready oh. to do it. Train wreck of the episode. Roy's fucking knee. Train wreck yeah. of the episode There's right there. Call. Yeah, God, he's a disaster. Um, yeah, I thought, I mean, what a, what a great one. Yeah, Roy Roy Kent returning to the pitch at AFC Richmond and getting the, the absolute love uh, of a returning welcoming hero. Let's go to, for mine, Welsh independence. It was referenced. Um, <laughs> but least. Welsh independence is a political movement. If you're like me, you don't know anything about the dynamics of uh, political dynamics of the United Kingdom, other than a little bit nor- Northern Ireland. I, I get that one a little bit. But I didn't know anything about Welsh independence. So Welsh independence is a political movement supporting Wales leaving the United Kingdom to become an independent sovereign state. Wales was conquered by Edward I of England in the 13th century. Longshanks. And it was incorporated into the Kingdom of England by the Laws in Wales Acts, 1535 and 1542. Spencer, you know that's actually still a law in the book? 1535, 1542. Still out there. English law is hilarious. They have no constitution. They used to have a body of really old laws that vaguely work together that they every now and then have to just kind of delete and rework to make functional. That's how English common law works. The modern Welsh independence movement emerged during the mid-19th century um, into the 21st century. So it kind of was revived, basically, um, by the political parties Plaid Serum, Propel, Glod, and the Wales Green Party, supporting Welsh independence, as the non, as does the nonpartisan Yes Serum campaign. Now, here's an important tidbit about the Welsh independence movement. You would think, um, being referenced here in the show, everybody likes the idea of like your own your own home being the Welsh sovereign state. You want to know what majority? Some, yeah, you want to know what some politi- some surveys about this have it at. Um, somewhere between ten and eleven, maybe up to up to maybe fourteen percent of people in in Wales actually support Welsh independence, and that's it. Yeah. And there's been a ton of surveys; it never really goes higher than that. It's not like the Scottish National Party and their continual push for independence, of where you know they're flirting with the idea that they may get fifty percent of people to back it at some point or another. Wales is not on the same page yet. If Scotland leaves, that may change, but Wales right now really not a position that they're in. Yep. All right, on to yours. Uh, just in terms of historical framing for people, Edward I was our bad guy king and Braveheart, if you want to point a comparison right there. What a fuck. Really? He was the yeah. guy that did that to William Wallace? Edward Longshanks. That, that, that is the same character to frame to people. He's not, he's a different character than the movie plays him in real life, but that is a point of comparison for people. They will never take point of our reference. freedom. Um, but that's part of what, the Battle of Falkirk that's depicted in the movie. All of those longbowmen archers are recently recruited Welsh archers that he brought from having uh, suppressed and conquered Wales. Man, tough, tough ending for William Wallace. You know, he had a good Uh, run, but it it had a good run, but it was a bad last chapter. uh, In the movie, yes. Fun story to read about in real life, too. We'll explore that on a different... If we ever get a reference on the show, we'll explore that one, too. Uh, Another one for me, just to continue our war references, Keeley's line about uh, invading invading France France together... (laughs) Is one of the funniest lines of the show. I had to stop the episode. I was laughing so hard. Just the the actress who does a wonderful job with the role and just the utter entrancement that she offers with that line of where, oh, no, no, she's inspired. This is her new monarch. They're invading France together. It, it's just really funny. Yep, absolutely. I will move on to Renee Carl Wilhelm Johann Josef Maria Rilke. <laughs> 
Just stick it to three minutes. You don't need to do the whole set. Better known as Rainer Maria Wilke. Um, He is widely recognized as one of the most lyrically intense German language poets. He wrote both verse and highly lyrical prose. Several critics have described Rilke's work as mystical, which get a little bit of that, right? In his quote in the show, talking about a dragon, his writings include one novel. That's it, dude. He's getting referenced all these years later. He wrote one novel. Uh, several collections of poetry and several volumes of correspondence in which he invokes images that focus on the difficulty of communion with the ineffable in an age of disbelief, solitude, and anxiety. So, mystical guy, probably said some profound things. If you want to go out there and check out my man, Rene Carl Wilhelm Johann Josef Maria Rilke. You know, I, I'm not sure if Ted has a reading list, but I think it's something he'd really be interested in reading. It seems like it's a kind of philosophy and a kind of background that would really resonate well with him, you know? Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last one from me. As much as I have mixed feelings about where it necessarily plays out, Nate's finding his moment and talking with Maitre D there was particularly for me very meaningful, given how much I struggle in terms of those personal interactions and those personal standing up for yourself one of moments. And so seeing him find a way to do it, even if it may ultimately be problematic or have issues, was empowering. It was a delight to see. And that beaming smile of his at the end, that just ear-to-ear smile from Nate, that moment of victory from him, that was the moments you live for to see a man that just for at least a brief moment so content with themselves. Okay, uh, we're up to, this is number 10. I'm going to give you a choice. Do you want to hear about a Kestrel or the movie Showgirls? <laughs> I'm going to make you tell me about Showgirls. Okay, Showgirls. <clears throat> this was actually an interesting movie because... It, it was is. a 19, 1995 erotic drama film. But here's the thing about this, is that it was never going to even get an R rating. It was always going to be NC-17 just because of the content and the amount of nudity they were going to show. But it had a budget of $45 million, which back then was a oh, yeah. budget that would be for any big major uh, studio uh, company to produce a movie that would be widely dispersed. Like This was like... A, a budget that is for big budget films that they would expect a nationwide release on. Interesting mm-hmm. that they would give a budget like that to a movie that was NC-17 because they know as soon as they slapped NC-17 on it, the number of people who can go see it is is vastly, vastly reduced. You know, you never take your kid to it. You probably never take your date on it. It's a, it's a pretty tough movie. So obviously it struggled in the theaters. It ended up making its money back, shockingly enough, on the DVD. Yeah, it's surprising. People wanted the DVD. Now, here's a, one thing about Showgirls that I want to point out. Please. I'm a child of the 90s. You're a child of the 90s. Indeed. There was a seminal show, huge in the zeitgeist, called <laughs> Saved by the Bell. Yeah, we got to see Jesse naked. And the idea that when I, this thing came out, and I said, Jesse Elizabeth Berkeley from yeah. Saved by the Bell is in this thing and is naked throughout the whole thing. Some sex scenes, some actual like dancing. Oh my God, 12 year old me, brain zapped. I probably didn't speak right for two days after I learned this thing. So that was huge for kids uh, who were in their, in their teens in the 90s that Elizabeth Berkeley made that move. I will say, probably not a great thing for her career because it did not turn out well for her. I think a lot of people thought it was a maybe cheap, move to do um, and she wasn't cast in a lot of other things and by the way you're not seeing Elizabeth Berkeley in much these days so I don't know if it was a great move but 12 year old me sure thought it was a great one this this seems to be in the same category of things that you see say uh, maybe see a lot of Disney starlets do of where they start their career 100% wholesome and then they try to aggressively get away from that 
They try to do something that's completely opposite. Little Miley Cyrus situation. Just a bit, among many others, of where they just try to be completely as opposite to that image as possible to get away from it. And it can stigmatize them very quickly in terms of that as compared to what they were before. And I think that unfortunately happened with Elizabeth Berkeley's career. Did you know who, uh, do you know who the director of uh, Showgirls was? Paul Verheim. Uh, well, I think it's Verhoeven or something like Verhoeven? that. Verhoeven? Verhoeven? Yeah. Uh, do you know what else he did? No. So I just, he's a weirdly diverse director. Where he did Showgirls, get that thought in your head. He also did Robocop and Total Recall. Uh, and then throw just a more recent term Starship Troopers and Hollow Man on the list. And Showgirls. The man does some does a weird collection of films. Wow. The distributor of this movie, United Artists, dispatched several hundred staffers to theaters across North America. So again, adding to the budget of the release to make sure that people did not sneak into the movie who were not at least 17 years old. Um, I never tried uh, to sneak into the movie, so I don't know if that was true or not. But the NC-17 rating is going to say, you did? You snuck into Showgirls? Uh, not Showgirls, no. Oh, I was about to say. Uh, but uh, d- d- due to did, the- a few, d- did a few double features in my time that I wasn't paying for. Oh, well, I mean, that's just you being cheap. That's not, that's not like, you know. <laughs> I, you, yeah. you, you know where it comes from. You probably do that now. Of... That's probably a Spencer movie Okay, Spencer <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it But due to the NC-17 rating, it was a box office bomb grossing just $37 million. I'll say it's a pass. You don't, it's you don't okay. need to watch the movie. It's not, it's not terrible. It's certainly not porn, but um, it's not great. It was unfairly framed at the time as being, oh, my God, this is the degradation of the masses. It's not even HBO nowadays. No, but it's it's also not great. And there is a scene no, in that movie of Elizabeth Berkley um, having sex in a pool, and then she has a mental breakdown that is possibly the worst acting I've ever seen in my life. It is atrocious. It's hilarious. It is lampooned everywhere. And if you're going to watch Showgirls, I would say speed it up to the pool scene, watch that, and giggle, my friends, because, man, that is a tough look. Which is a shame. She can act. She did well as Jesse on Saved on the Bell and some other things I've seen her in. It's just that was not her best performance. Oh, you remember the Saved by the Bell episode where she really shined, where she was doing speed? The caffeine. And Zach, yeah. Zach caught her. Yeah. Uh, and he was, he was, try- it was like That's a, a drug wonderful episode. scene. It was a drug episode for Saved by the Bell. Heavy stuff. You know, kids, kids shows back in the day used to really deal with heavy stuff. Do you remember that show? Um, what was the one with what you talking about, Willis? Good times? Oh, no, it wasn't good times. Hold on. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll look it up. So anyway, the one with, I think I think it was the What You Talking About, Willis, actually dealt with um, a child molester. Actually dealt with a guy. Really? Who took, yeah. He took, Dif- took. Different strokes. Different, different strokes. strokes. Yeah. He took the young kids and was telling them, like, take your shirt off and, like, being super creepy. And then he got caught. And there was this big seminal moment at the end of the episode saying, hey, you know, kids out there, watch out. There are these people like this. You have to be careful. Like, it was this big learning moment. Like, these kids shows used to tackle heavy stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, you fam- certainly don't see that in, like, Frozen nowadays. <laughs> I mean, the famous example people look back at nowadays is uh, Fresh Prince. Before Fresh Prince, it's honestly not as good a show as people remember it being. But, man, did it have some powerful episodes of, oh, this is a serious Fresh Prince kind of moment talking about parental abandonment right now. Yeah, for we're sure. Talking about, we're talking about internal racism. These are powerful moments. But... A lot of shows like to do, and this is a special episode of this show kind of thing back in the day. They don't seem to do as much now. It's There's a much more light kind of children's entertainment. 
I will say the pedophile episode that I, I referenced before is is a watch. I mean, I mean not not because like um, you're no, not watching it. It's a good episode like, of television. I thought it was really well done. I really did, yeah. and I think it, I think it spoke to kids who were watching it. So shout out to that. I know we're a little off the rails here, but I thought that was really cool. All right, you ready to move on to life lessons with Ted? I don't know if I am because man, this is gonna be some heavy life lessons. I expect. So these are really good. I think I've got four with you this week. Okay. Um, so number one, Nate, come on. You are who you are because of who you are. So the life lesson here embedded in this Keeley statement, so shout out to Keeley, really good line, yep. is that if you start changing who you are at your core because of feeling insecure or feeling like it's not enough or feeling like you haven't accomplished something that you want to accomplish in part because of who you are, if you start changing those things, you may just lose the best things about you. Why? Because, Spencer, you never know why people love you. Yeah, and that is what that is what Keeley is telling him is that Nate, you see these things in you as being bad, as being negative, that you need to change. You want to be, you're coming in here telling me you want to be famous, but what you don't understand is that that's why people love you. So be careful when you you talk about trying to change things who change what you are at your core, because you may just be changing the things that your loved ones really really appreciate about you. Yeah, I'll, I'll even build off that. It's one of those things of where if you constantly are trying to think for yourself, I need to do what other people want, I need to build myself around them, you're never going to be content with yourself. You're never going to be comfortable in your own skin because you're always going to feel like you're an actor on stage rather than you're just among friends that like you. So it's a dangerous mindset to get in and try to build yourself around what other people want or are after. Yeah, so that leads, that's a great segue to my next one, which is the quote, I suppose the best brand is just being yourself. To my Damn man, straight. Leslie Higgins. So this, is, this applies to dating. So here's something okay. I want to say to all the kids out there who are still in the dating market is I think there's this perception that you need to look like Ryan Reynolds. You need to look like, you know, the the Hollywood star. <laughs> you got to have the big, big, broad shoulders, big diamond shape. If it it's were really not true, you have it's to really look not this true. Way. No. And I'll tell you, my time in dating, the people who did the best were the people who had a look. You know, it's like mm -hmm. that thing where like people just have like a, you look at them and you're like, oh, that's so-and-so. And they stand out from the crowd and they have a particular look and a particular way about them that is at least unique to your social circle. Those are the people that always did well. So what I challenge folks to do out there on the data market is be yourself because the more that you can be this sort of like quirky, weird, not like everybody else own brand is how you stand out and how you actually do well in the dating market. Now, never mind the fact that it shows confidence. It's also just something that's attractive to people inherently because you look not like every other. You're not cookie cutter like the rest of the guys. So my advice, be yourself, be your own brand. Shout out Leslie Higgins. Damn straight. Uh, next one here in life, don't, don't do the things you like, uh, but you are good at. Do the things you love, even though you may not be, you may not know if you're good at it or at it all. So let me, let me read that. That is a hard one that. right there. Yeah. Don't do the thing that you just like, that you're good at. Do the thing you love, even though you may not know if you're good at it or not. And I think a lot of people, hand up myself included, get in careers where they're good at it. And so they do it. But they may not love it, right? And and I think that there's some people out there, and God bless these people, who who stiff arm that, who say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go after the thing that I love, even though I may not know if I'm good at it or not. And they may fail, right? But it, it's probably the thing that's more fulfilling in life if you can work up the will to do it. And I'm not saying it's easy because I haven't done it in my life. No, I, th I think we as people have a natural tendency to gravitate towards what's easy, what's just comfortable, what is something that just kind of comes naturally and you don't have to fight for it too hard. 
And then you really have to ponder, possibly even years down the line, how fulfilling is that, though? It's a job. It works. It it, it gets you through the day, whatever else. But does it actually add anything to your life, or are you just using it for other things? And that is a hell of a difficult realization for people to reach at some point or other. Most people I don't think ever do. Think about how many hours you spend working. If 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 you can increase... The marginal like utility of of that of that work hour, mm-hmm. um, it extrapolated it out. It's going to add massive amounts of enjoyment to your life. So any anytime you can level up there, it's big. Last one here, Spencer. I'll keep it short. Don't be afraid to go home again. They might just miss you. Oh, that one hit home right there. They might just miss you. And that is exactly what happened to our man, Roy. I think he was in his own head about returning. I think he had a lot of complicated feelings. But I think one thing he wasn't realizing is that they missed him. And they love Roy Kim. So there you go. That's Life Lessons with Ted. That wraps up our coverage of Season 2, Episode 5. Spencer, I do want to do a little bit of a a wrap-up thought here before we end the episode. And it's real quick to you. You know, we've talked about trying to rank the episodes, about like where does this fit in? Is it your top 50, top 20%, bottom 50? This is a very different episode. I I posit that it's the most ambitious episode they've done in in terms of writing and what they're trying to accomplish in the episode and some of the plots that they're introducing. Where does it rank for you relative to some of the other episodes? It's one of the things of where some of the other episodes have depend. My opinion of them has depended on where ultimately they're resolved or where ultimately things conclude with the plot lines they introduce. This one is really successful as its own standalone episode, and that's a strong degree, a strong factor for ranking it now very highly. Of where it is well paced, it is well written, it tells a very great arc, it has some momentous moments, has some very believable human kind of moments going into it. It's wor- It's using and drawing threads that they previously set up in other episodes in a perfect manner this ranks very high for me this is me it's me it's me one of the top one of the top episodes of the series so far for me yeah absolutely it's not going to surprise you that this is this i gotta let it simmer i let it marinate a little bit i don't know this might just be knee jerk but it might be my favorite episode of all time simply because i feel like i would be surprised if it wasn't with you yeah wrote it for me i love rom-coms i love the the through line of ted rebecca i hope they really do that so yeah a shout out to this episode let's talk about it no, we got we to gotta talk about this. It, how do you think, from what they've showed so far, because this is a very contentious moment of the fandom. I've been reading a few comments and hearing from a few friends on this. There are some people that are really negative at the idea of those two ever hooking up in any manner. Do you think the show is setting them up to have romantic tension or romantic degree of realization between the two? And do you think that's going to lead to them actually being in a relationship? Where do you think they are inclined to go with this, given seemingly the obvious hints they're now throwing out? Um, I know this is I, defying the show's logic of don't ponder the future, just experience the moment as we go through the forest. I'll but go quote on. exactly as it is Shut to. up. Do it. No. Our job is to have zero expectations no. and just let go. I honestly think that's what they're, that is what they're trying to tell the fandom. I think they're trying to say this is going to be weird. This is going to be an odd pill to swallow because, you know, these two characters, we didn't necessarily set it up that way. And what we're doing is we're taking a very genuine, positive, healthy, platonic relationship between a man and a woman, and we're making it romance. And a lot of people don't like that. But the show is telling you, hang back, sit back. We got this. We know what we're doing. I want the two of them together. I always thought it made perfect sense. They, I mean, the way the way he stood up for her in the bar against Rupert and the way that she stood up for him, the first fucking moment they met 
in that press conference. And she said, you know what? Shut up, everybody. Even though she was sabotaging him, she couldn't help herself but take up, take care of him in that moment. I think that we've, they, we've been given the breadcrumbs. But like Daenerys turning on King's Landing and burning everything up, just because you've been giving breadcrumbs doesn't mean the fandom's going to like it. And so I think that there are some folks who are not going to like this. But... I think this show's trying to tell you, hang tight, sit with it. So what my, my overall opinion of this is that personally, I think they've set it up well. I really support it. I think the two characters belong together. It makes perfect sense to me. But I understand the fandom's not going to like it. So I think we're in for a bumpy ride in the final five episodes. What did you think? Well, I'm curious to see how quick they pull it. I think they'll have a moment of... Re- I think they'll realize this season that they've been chatting. But I don't think it'll go farther than that this season. I think they'll have... This is kind of almost setting up like a friend's plot line of will they do it, will they, won't they going into the third season. But oh God, I don't, you know you hate those. I've been really dunking on a show I loved in the 90s. It's been weird to do this podcast with you in that regard. But I don't think they'll move, if they ultimately decide to go in this direction, I don't think they'll move very quickly about it. And I think they'd be better if they don't. Well, there you go. Uh, that is That is definitely a big, huge plot line to watch for the final five episodes and we will cover it here on the lasso lowdown as we will cover every single episode every episode airs on friday when do our podcasts come out next day that's right saturdays that's where we're going to get the podcast to you that's what we've committed to do thanks everybody for listening we really enjoy doing this podcast with you i enjoyed going through a really great episode of uh ted lasso with you spencer thank you for doing this podcast with us and if you've hung mm-hmm. on in there with us this long if you're still with us listening to us gab i'm guessing you like hearing us talk if you do go to your favorite podcast platform type in mangum talks listen to any of our podcasts and please subscribe rate review please review we love hearing your reviews good bad and different we want to hear what you guys think of us you can do it on your favorite podcast platform or you can do it directly to us go to mangumtalks.com that's m-a-n-g-u-m talks.com upper right hand corner click contact us for the format it will come straight to me and i love to hear what you guys think so again thank you for listening we really enjoy the show and we'll be back with you next week for season two episode six see you